Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Everyone is Everything. Um, today, I dropped my hat into a toilet filled with pee. And I listened to way more poison songs than I've listened to in my entire life. But more importantly, I am finally going to release this episode, which is the longest episode, so I kind of saved it. It is with Ken Nardi of progressive metal band Anacrusis. Um, he also has solo work that is equally amazing. I highly recommend looking that up. And if I'm just talking personally, I would say looking up the album Screams and Whispers by Anacrusis. It is an underrated masterpiece of uh, prog metal. With that said, enjoy Ken Nardi. Okay, now we are officially all right, officially on. You know, and it's funny because uh, the first thing I noticed because we talked um, right before the pandemic. Yeah, before the I was going to say, and I know what you're going to say. You haven't Do gotten you? a haircut since then either. No, right? no, I haven't. And I'm. It's it's so funny because that was the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, here's here's us with our our original form as uh yeah i was gonna say you know i was telling my wife just before we did that delmore hall show i said you know i'm like 50 something i i I gotta quit rocking the lady hair you know i just gotta Mm -hmm. do something different and then covid came along and i'm like cool start working from home i haven't had a haircut since i think probably around march april whenever we went you know april-ish whenever we started working from home i I decided you know i'm just gonna let it grow yeah i think (laughs) i i needed a haircut going into it so i had a couple months uh, uh yeah already but yeah it was the same thing like i had i mean i started growing my hair out when i was a kid because like i got into metal like it right. was like my it was like my first after professional wrestling and cartoons it was like my first thing <laughs> right i was like this is mine and so i grew my hair everybody on mtv that had a guitar had long hair so well, yeah. and, well i and had so- uh in high school i had hair like this but you mm-hmm. know more feathered probably and it was about halfway down my back and dyed black. And this was like right. 1985, 86. And I was, I was the guy in school that had the long dyed black hair. So everybody kind of knew who I was. Right. I was in, you know, my previous Santa Cruz's band by then. But yeah, and then once, you know, late 80s, just started to kind of, uh, kind of like uh, dabble with some punk rock and hardcore stuff. And it's kind of getting tired of the long hair. So when I, when I joined Santa Cruz's in 86, um, I cut my hair off within a year i cut like on the back of the first album i still have long hair that was their very first show april of 87 and then right after that i cut most of my hair off kind of a pseudo mohawkish kind of deal and then slowly started letting it grow out then shaved one half and then right. ended up shaving my head totally bald uh like with a razor bald. Wow. and then it kind of grew back as sort of lazy mohawk you know both sides shaved hanging flat right. and, and so after anacrusis uh, within about a year or so, I I cut my hair off pretty and wore my hair short for years and years all the way right. until COVID. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm about the only one of my friends that still has it. So, right. <laughs> so maybe I'll let it grow and see what happens. So you uh, know, I was... and I didn't even, I, you know, I was gonna dye my beard and 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 you know what? I figured out I'll, I'll I'll keep it real today. No, dude, it looks awesome. <laughs> it looks awesome, and it's funny because yeah, that's I I uh, I had it long for so long, and then I cut it when I was in college, and I assumed I would never have it back. 
yeah. and then the pandemic was like it's so fun yeah it's because i thought you know i got really fine hair and it's really flat and i can't do a lot with it so if i don't do some sort of a spiky something or other it's just it doesn't work well and right. so um i mostly wear it a ponytail and look like my yeah. mom now when she was in her right. 50s and stuff but um but yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna let it grow because I, I used because you know, I just went to her. And then after um, working at home for about a year, year and a half, I'm a programmer. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up we were supposed to go back in office about a year and a half ago, and I and I was like, oh man, I'm never going back to the office. So I actually looked and found another job oh, uh, wow. out of Kansas City, but they're all remote, been remote wow. even for years before COVID. So I've wow, I'm, I'm doing that probably until right. I retire. I hope. So yeah, I was like, I don't think I could ever sit in traffic again or oh. go and sit in the office again all day yeah. or any of that it's, stuff. It's interesting because I mean, I and I will say I, I have like random notes, but I really, I came in l- way less prepared this time because That's I fine. wanted to be like- I talk talking. way too much. So you I know, wanted, you know, well, I, I knew that. people I, ask me one, you know, because you interviewed yeah, us, right? I asked you one question and you talked for 90 minutes last time we talked. And it was, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to get a little better. At that, it was, but. no, it was one of my favorite experiences with damnation. So like, I, cool. I, I mean, probably my number one. Oh, really? Um, cool. So, so I appreciate it. So as I say that, I, I mean it in the Well, kindest. Walker's around here somewhere. He might visit oh, yeah. with us, Good. you know, my Good. black cat that, right. that, yeah, that kind of uh, inserted himself into the little interview. He did. He did. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. But yeah, uh, it's, it's funny because I will say I, I'm, I'm working in offices still. And I, I do say there's aspects I still like, I get some socialization through it and, and the traffic I get to, you know, listen to podcasts or music separately and like my own little world. And, but I do think that there it's, there's definitely a side of, uh, a side of me that's like, I don't think this is necessary. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I've been social distancing since like seventh grade, probably. So I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) I don't really miss not seeing a lot of people. And my wife and I just built a really nice house uh, about four years ago. Got acres of woods behind us, windows everywhere. I'm home with the cats all day. Um, I I still get all my stuff done and and still it's nice to be home if you need to do something. It's nice to be home. Something's getting delivered. Yeah, whatever. So it's and, and not not sitting in traffic and and all that stuff, you know, people are like, oh, my God, have you seen the gas prices now? And I'm like, not really. No. <laughs> I've been, been out in two weeks since I go to the grocery store, you know. So, right. yeah, I've really gotten um, to the point where my wife's retiring at the end of this year, actually. Wow. She's uh, Well, she's she's seven years older than I am. So mm-hmm. she's uh, she'll be 61, uh, even though she looks 20 years younger than I do. Um, I'm only 54. So I, I keep telling her, I said, lots of people retire when they're 55, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, so she's going to be home um, after the end of the year, which is nice. I like it. Right. She's uh, She's been at a bank for 40 years. She just had her 40th anniversary wow. there. Wow. So, yeah. That's an accomplishment. That's, That's something you don't see around. these days. People don't, yeah. you know, now if you stay longer than four years, they're like, what's up with this guy? You no know ambition. <laughs> you know? Totally. Totally. I mean, I've actually read a lot of, uh, a lot of articles that say that um, in order to uh, maximize your value in terms of financially moving around is better. Yeah, you know, it's not what it used to be, you know, in terms of let's sit at this place and eventually like that loyalty will pay off. It doesn't yeah. really. Well, I, my... I played music till I was 25 and then right. got divorced. The band broke up and all that. And then I had to go find a real job. You know, mm-hmm. it turns out my dad was right after all. Right. <laughs> About a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, no. And then I did a bunch of stuff. I worked for Goodwill, sitting on a trailer for a couple of years. I delivered process, unprocessed and processed film like to Kmart and Walgreens and all that when you used, you know, used to turn mm-hmm. in, I don't, 
how old are you? I know you're a lot uh, younger I'm, than me. I'm 37. I'll be 38 oh, okay. in January. You're not, so, so you're still okay. So, so I, don't know I if was you right there. Actual film or I not? Do. But, I do. So yeah. So I used to drive this route where I would drive 400 miles a day. I would drive up to Springfield oh. in a van, drop off routes. I'd drive all the way up to um, Peoria and then all around Illinois and then back to St. Louis. And it was about 400 miles. I would do that about four days a week. And so wow. I was doing that. And then I switched to a a real job with um, driving a bread truck, doing a bread rot for three years, uh, which was about 13 hour days. And I would literally like fall asleep standing up because I, I can't, I'm not an early, I would go in at like 4.15 in the morning. Right. I usually go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning. Wow. So it's really, yeah. and, and when I did that job, I was still only get three, four hours of sleep usually. But anyway, and then I had a buddy that was into computer stuff real early on. Like he was like Mr. Lennox guy before most of us had windows machines, you know? Mm-hmm. And he basically told me, he's like, dude, you know, you're, you're a pretty bright guy. And I was getting into like doing some recording on computer and a little Photoshop stuff. He's like, why don't you go take some classes? And I took a six weeks classes um, memorized all the junk, didn't understand half of it, went in, got a Microsoft uh, certification test certificate, got hired at my first interview, uh, ended up learning totally different stuff than what I actually studied, which was programming, I ended up doing database reporting, database and reporting stuff. But I have somehow managed to do that for 22 years now, or wow. 23 years now, since wow. 99, uh, yeah. right at the beginning of 2000. But um, but yeah, with when you're doing IT stuff, you, you're, you're always jumping around, you're moving around a lot. Um, I've uh, probably had 10 or a dozen jobs in those 20 something years, uh, sometimes full-time, sometimes contract work, whatever. Uh, this one, um, I've been at about 15, 16 months at, at about a year. They converted me over to, from a contractor. So hopefully I'll, I'll coast my way the rest right. of the time. I'm like, I'm, I'm too old to like learn a lot of new stuff, but uh-huh. I'm still too young to really give up at this point. So right, I got to kind of, right. you know, keep fresh and, but anyway, yeah. but it's going to be nice. My wife will be at home. So that's, awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was ready to retire before I ever started working. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I think, that. uh, you get to, especially when you get older, you get to this point, you know, where, uh, you start thinking, well, I only get up and go to work so I can get up and go to work again the next day, you know? And at a certain point, uh, life can start to feel pretty meaningless in some ways. Um, especially if you're a creative type person, um, mm-hmm. I've really struggled once I hit middle age. And the reason was because all of my dreams were the dreams of a young guy. I mean, right. since the time I was nine or 10 and fell in love with kiss, man. And then once I actually started playing guitar and I was about 12 and then started writing songs, as soon as I knew three chords, I wanted to do my own music. And, mm-hmm. um, and then your whole sort of like, um, your, your aspirations are all future. They're all forward. They're all like, man, I'm going to do this someday, or maybe we'll get We'll get signed, and I mean that. Oh, we'll get to go on tour. Ah, we'll get to do this. We'll get on video on MTV. Did that, and then, you know, um, and then when it all ends, and you're 25, when you get to around 40, you start going, man, all of my really exciting ambition is in the past. Because mm-hmm. what am I going to do? I'm not going to be a 45 or 50 year old guy getting signed and doing albums, you know? Right. Um, and if that's really what your whole life, and I don't have any children, and that's a big part too, I think. I think um, that's my biggest regret in life. Uh, of course, it, mm-hmm. the way it worked out, it wouldn't have been a good thing. I was married once before. I'm glad I don't have a ties to that situation right. anymore. But at the same time, it took me a long time to realize how important it is um, and how big a part of life, maybe the biggest part of life is to continue life. You know, that's probably why we're here. And I'm right. big into genealogy and stuff, and I get into... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my dad, Italian on my dad's side, thus the last name. My mom was Scottish and uh, from the Chisholm clan. And so I kind of got really heavily into the, uh, uh, there's a lot of history on that side of the family and a lot of genealogy through aunts and uncles. And then I kind of got involved 
Um, and it's really interesting. You start looking back, if you, know, if you want to get deep already, I don't know, but... Oh, I'm all for it. You start looking back and you think, well, here's this guy, this great, 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 great grandfather, you know, fought in the Civil you know, came down from Canada, from Nova Scotia, from Scotland, ended up fighting in the Civil War, not even born here, you know. Uh, his father fought and died, on, you know, of disease on the river during the war, blah, blah, blah. And they had these children, all these, and like, all of us now are all here because of this one guy. And his, right. And then you realize um, something interesting I learned about uh, Victorian uh, sort of like mourning and, and funerary uh, tradition. And I never knew this is like, I assume this is true. I read this in a book. It says, if you ever see the old Victorian tombstones and the name has a period at the end of the name, mm-hmm. it means they have no children. Wow. So and that's it's pretty end. heavy. That's right. the end. And that's yeah. me. It's the end of the line. Boom. And wow. you kind of think, you look at it and you're like, wow, all those generations yeah. and all those people, right? And then I just, yeah. eh, I'm the, I'm it, you know, I'm the end. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot to be unpacked there. And what's interesting yeah. is like, it's, although that we, we put a lot of emphasis on bloodlines and stuff like this is part of me, yeah. but I would almost argue in a way, since you've, you've led a, a pretty creative life and you've given a lot of parts of you to a lot of people mm-hmm. in terms of musically and whatnot. Oh, you're going to get heavier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I genuinely, and I've seen the people who are into anacrusis. I, I mean, I love this deep stuff, so I want to stick with it. Yeah. Uh, like I've seen how fervent th- these aren't just like casual listeners. Like yeah. I even, I went on like some YouTube videos and I was just reading comments and there's not like casual fans of your music. So yeah. like, I, I feel like with that being said, your period basically is going to be an exclamation point because <laughs> there's going to be, there's people, whether or not they're blood. And I know it's different. I'm not dismissing, yeah, no, the, no, I get I'm it. not That's dismissing cool. the connection that someone has with their child, but I am also including that like you've impacted a lot of people. And so that, that happens like, and it's interesting because you mentioned just being a creative person. Also, it really feels like you've, and I do want to get into creativity just mm-hmm. in terms of like a, in a functional way of like actually making art. But I, I like the idea that as you talked, you talked about creativity with, with your music, but as I'm watching, I'm like, Oh, but you've also created relationships, this whole life, this whole thing, that's creativity as well. You know, this, what we're doing that we're creating a conversation. I mean, it's, right, right, we're right. essentially improving a cover, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's so interesting, but it's, but it is heavy to think about that period. I didn't know that. That's such an interesting yeah, fact. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. And you know, I, what's really, what's interesting about it is when I first started playing, like my dad played guitar and sang. He wasn't like, I didn't, he didn't write any music ever. I think he wrote like one song for my mom when they first were dating or something. But, you know, so he was the kind of guy, um, he, he, he wasn't shy at all. He loved the attention. He was the kind of guy he loved to go hang out in the tavern. We'd call it, you know, cause my dad was into like the old fifties and sixties country, old school country music and Elvis and all that. So that's what we kind of raised on and heard. Um, and my dad's the kind of guy, he'd just go up and sit up at the bar and just play and get people buying beers all night. He just play all these old songs, Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and all these kind of old school stuff. Um, and so there was always music in our house. Like we would have these, my dad was from a family of nine kids. So on the wow. Nardi side, we had, I must've had 50 cousins, you know what I mean? Literally we'd have these big family get togethers all during the seventies when we were kids growing up and my dad would get the guitar out and he'd sing and play. And we, the whole family and kids, people in the neighborhood would come around. My dad would sit in the basement and play. It was like a really cool thing. Right. Um, and then when he got a little older and his arthritis hurt him, I, I made, I created a monster by introducing him to karaoke. And then he ended up trying to like record every song ever written and, and it fell on me 
to That's mess funny. with this stuff. But anyway, but when I started writing music, my dad had an old um, two-track reel-to-reel recorder, you know, from the 60s. And we had I messed with that. And I remember, like, I, you know, Kiss was the first thing I really got into musically. Before that, it was, you know, ABBA and Helen Reddy, whatever's on the radio. You know, mm-hmm. I liked whatever as a kid. And then my head, I have an older brother, three years older. So he was kind of like the age where he kind of got into Kiss, like around destroyer-ish and then introduced it to me and then i i was a huge star wars guy for about a year then i got into the kiss thing so i mean kiss and star wars was 70s was a pretty kick-ass time to be a kid i mean you know beat that so anyway i started um trying to play around with um my you know i i took violin in fourth grade because i wanted to play something i wanted to play drums actually but you had to be in fifth grade so i decided violin it's a pretty small kid so i was like okay i was like 10 and, you know, I learned all my Mary Had a Little Lamb and Mississippi Stop Stop. And I couldn't play Kiss songs on it. So I was like, this, this sucks. That's funny. I actually got in trouble for playing Pantera songs on my violin in seventh grade. Well, so. you probably could have played a Kiss song, but I was like, I don't want to play a violin. I just had the pick, though. I didn't yeah. do it right. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to play. I don't. So after a year of that, I, I gave that up. But then I was probably getting to about the age around 11, 12, when I started him. My dad started teaching me guitar, some chords and things like that. And I would say it's funny because when I was like, say, 12, 13, 14, um, you know, my dad was teaching me all like the ventures and like uh, Buck Owens and some just just C chord, G chord, A minor chord, D chord. And then fast forward several years. And I remember all my friends were learning eruption. Right. And like Sabbath riffs and all this. But then fast forward a few years and we started writing music. I actually knew chords. I could actually put together a song. You know, it wasn't right. just a riff or whatever. So it actually, all those things, like everything's a stepping stone in life, really. And everything mm-hmm. leads. Um, it's kind of like the movie Slumdog Millionaire. I'm sure. Have you seen the movie? I haven't, actually. It, it's interesting because it's like the whole premise is he goes on the show and there's like 10 questions or whatever. And, there, and he wins and they immediately think he cheated. But what, and then he goes back and tells the story. And what it is, is every one of those questions is just something for weird reason. He had some experience that led him to just seeing that exact thing. And then like 20 right. years later, they ask us, oh, like what's on the back of a certain uh, American denomination bill? Well, there was a whole story he tells about getting this from an American tourist. And anyway, so mm-hmm. every all those little pieces of information that you get along the way that you think are trivial or silly or, I don't want to sit and play this stupid Johnny Cash song. I want to play Kiss songs, you know? But then it's it, it's all part of that, you know, like, like, like Roger Waters talks about building the wall, a negative wall, but it, there's also a positive wall of in a way maybe not a wall something else that's built up it's sort of like your palette of of Mm. of paints you know over your life and then you get to a certain point you have all these different colors to select from and all these different experiences give you a different shade or different hue to to apply to what you're going to create and so but the reason i told that really long stupid story was because we're talking about the period on the tombstone and I was like one of these kids. I think I was just born really old. I, I feel like I was always the okay. same age. And I don't know. Right. If it, you know what I mean? I always feel I, like I was the same age, even as a kid. Um, and my mom would always say, oh, this is Ken. He's uh, he's our seven-year-old teenager. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I always was a little bit more serious. But I mean, I have I laugh a lot and I joke a lot. Right. But um, I, I started writing like a three-chord song. There's probably a 12th grade or a 12-year-old. 11 or 12, like in uh, probably 12, seventh grade, played in the seventh grade talent show with two friends of mine, uh, two guitars and drums, no bass. And we did uh, a, a funny version of Purple Haze, and we, which was one of the first songs I learned. And then an original that I wrote, which was like, you know, D, D, C, G, over and over and over. Um, the second song I ever wrote was called Name on a Stone. And 
it was literally a story and I'm probably 13 or 14 about walking through a graveyard and thinking about your life and what did you, are you just a name on a stone? Is that what mm -hmm. you really amounted to? Which is probably some a 13 year old shouldn't be dwelling on that much. But it's funny because I always felt um, that life had some purpose or we should have a purpose or like you right. need to make a mark or you, you know, not, not that you've got some God complex, but it feels like, you know, I mean, I'm a Christian now. I've been a Christian for, you know, 20 something years now. Um, but even, even before that, I was always very conscientious, uh, very self examining and all that stuff. And, uh, I always just figured there's got, you know, you could probably supposed to accomplish something or try to accomplish something while you're right. here, you know, not just yeah. be here to have mm -hmm. fun or try to have fun. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've had fun three times in my life. Honestly, right. <laughs> I'm not a fun person, but, um, but yeah, so going all the way back to when I was really young, I always had this deep sense. And then that was about the age when I probably, my brother probably brought home The Wall. And The Wall, more than any album in my life, just just hit me over the head. Um, it was a combination of so many things. First of all, that album is just chock full of, of beautiful guitar stuff, layers, textures, sounds, keyboards. Um, between Roger and Dave's voices, there's so many different voices going on, different characters going on. Um, and I remember it was one of the first times I listened to with headphones and stereo. Like, and I, mm -hmm. and I encountered this idea of sounds and their sound effects and the, the way the things pan and move around. And it just blew my mind. And that's what made me want to, you know, produce music even more than play. Yeah. I think I've always wanted to be on that side of, you know, making it interesting and creating this, right. uh, like, like I always divide music into two camps. It's like, it's like with acting. It's like you have, if you like, the guy on the tightrope with no net, that's Broadway. That's plays. That's live stage acting. Right. But then there's movies where you're using the same skill set, but you can create this total fantasy, imaginary reality, and you can get it perfect, and you can get it right, and you can use, you know what I mean? And so people that just love to plug in the guitar and jam on stage, you know, there's definitely something to that. And some people just love that aspect of music. Me, that's one of my least favorite things to do. I do like to play music. I like to see people enjoy it. But uh, I'm too much of a perfectionist. I always call yeah. myself an imperfect perfectionist, which is yeah. a real hell to live in. I get that. Because, because you know, on stage, everything could go wrong. Everything always does go wrong. I mean, you, you're at the show. You know, we, had a, mm -hmm. we did one whole song. We played it again because yeah. literally it's like this song. We used to open to a tour with this song. This is, should be tight as anything. And right. that, what we just played, no, it was a crane wreck. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm videotaping this thing. Let's just get it right. Let's just start over yep. and do that song again. Yeah. And I've seen other bands do, I've seen another yeah. band do that exact same thing. If it thing. would have been videotaping, it would have been with it. But since I was right. taping the show, I'm like, you right. know what? I, I, we need the song. And that yeah. was just a nightmare. Right. Um, so, and I, to this day still, even after editing the thing a million times, I don't exactly remember what parts we skipped and left out and what parts we didn't. But it was, it was really crazy. But that's what I don't like about live music. And that's what some people love about it. It's like yeah. live TV versus, you know, filming yeah. a TV show, editing it and getting all the angles right. right. Um, I'm actually doing something really kind of – I was a huge Kiss fan growing up. Okay, huge. Okay. Like it was my life. Um, got into them around 77, just like 10 years old, nine, 10 years old. And then within those, you know, the next three or four years, it was like my whole walls covered with pictures. Yep. I mean, yep. everything was kissed. That was uh, my Metallica. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's the kind of kiss. And this before, I mean, not like any other bands, hardly. I knew music already, but I mean, yep. I was a kiss fan. That was it. Right. And Ace was my guy. I wanted to be Ace and all that. And then, um, so anyway, they did this horrible TV movie in 1978 called Kiss Meets the Phantom. And mm -hmm. even if you were nine or 10, you watched it and went, 
ooh, that's really, really bad. But it's cool to see Kiss. So right. that's kind of become this um, sort of legend among among fans over the years. So what happened is about two and a half months ago, um, what they did is they had the TV version. They never released it in a good quality. There's bootlegs that float around from Laserdisc rips. And then they released on uh, a Kissology compilation um, a year after it played in America. They recut the whole thing for the theater over in, for movie theaters in Europe. Okay, and it was arguably worse. Uh, okay. They cut out some scenes, added some scenes, and they just took a bunch of solo album songs and just crammed them in willy-nilly and just nothing made any sense. So I got this idea because I like to mess with video editing and, and audio syncing with all the old Kiss videos and playing around with creating the magic of making things fit the video. And so I decided I was going to do a an original cut of their movie using the very good DVD quality version of the European one. Wow. And I would just rearrange it back in the original order because there isn't one that, that like that. Well, I started doing that, and then I realized, oh, the scenes aren't just moved around. They're literally cuts. They're cut differently. Like every shot's kind of moved around. And I'm like, this is going to be a nightmare. And somebody said, hey, man, I wonder if you could like re-edit the thing and make a decent movie out of it so that it's corny and I was like, oh, hell no. You, no, you can never do that. So I started like, well, what I will do is I'm going to take the live sequences, which was like they play three concerts in this amusement park. I'm going to take the live sequences where they just basically have this bad audio of like just like the, uh, the album track and they're lip syncing on the stage. I'm going to make real live tracks out of And, you know, they got these isolated tracks that float around these days. You can get the bass and drums and the guitar. Right. So I'm like, I can remix these things and cut the vocals timing perfectly to line up with the video. I started to do that. And then I realized... You know what? I'm going to re-edit this whole movie, and wow. I've done it. I just finished it today. It's about the last day I'm working it, and I literally spent every day for about two and a half months, and I went oh, from top to bottom. I used all the footage from both versions, all new mixes of all the live music, um, all new um, sort of uh, instrumental mixes of all the fight scenes and stuff they do, wow. um, and literally cut shot by shot. I fixed audio. I did new sound effects and the scenes. I mean, punches and bricks, break, everything. So what do you what do you do with that? Like, and not, not now, that it, well, I'm going to do a podcast next week, a big cop podcast. Okay, and this is cool. going to be kind of a big deal because I'm not aware of any other fan edits of that movie in the last. It's like yeah, NOV, I didn't even know it was like... 1978. So there are a couple versions where people play around with stuff where they maybe put in the missing scenes and stuff. But this is literally I made a new film, a brand wow. new film out of it, and it, it and that's even though funny. Kiss is like the worst actors ever, and that's kind of right. the charm of it in uh -huh. a way. Everybody else is okay, and it's a '70s movie, and so it's still very. It's actually got more Kiss, more live stuff to the con. It's, yeah. it's just I that's, could go on and on. That's but amazing. anyway, I'm pretty proud of it. It turned out pretty yeah, cool, and, and I've got wait, a couple ten minute samples up on. And people are loving it. They're like, oh, so cool. I'm, I, my goal was to have it done by Halloween because the movie premiered on the Saturday night movie of the week, October 28th, just before Halloween '78. So wow. a lot of Kiss fans sort of play the movie for a Halloween family right, you know, right, tradition. right. Well, hopefully this will be the new Halloween family tradition version. That's really the fun. And what, version, so. There's something, and it's, first of all, there's a lot, again, to dig through with all that. I do love the fact that, like, you had a friend that just kind of planted a seed. It's like you have this fertile soil of creativity. Well, this, yeah, this was a guy on a message board, Kiss message board. Oh, it was, just, like, a, hey, it was just a message board re-edit it? And I was thinking, It was no, just a dude. Of course wow. not. <laughs> but but he, he threw that seed, and then yeah. it's like the soil, you had no choice but to, it just grew from and literally there. every aspect of the movie, like Peter Chris, the drummer, he did not show up to revoice his, his lines. So they picked the guy that used to play. It was a Hanna-Barbera production, right? So Saturday morning cartoons, right? They picked a guy to voice Peter's voice. That was Aquaman in the cartoons. It's this total cartoon guy voice. Mm -hmm. And that's another joke. It's so all of Peter's lines. I, I pitched him down about a half step and it, it gives him a totally different tone, less wow. cartoonish, more closer to his real voice. 
Uh, Gene's got this robotic echo that's really annoying. I trimmed most of that out and added this like uh, detuned. Wh- I whispered over all his lines and yeah. I created like a detuned sort of a demonic yeah. sounding voice for him. Um, all these things. And so I'm pretty proud of it. But I mean, every little detail, every little aspect I've messed with in this thing. Well, so. It's so cool to hear that too, because it it's, uh, I, I do think there's a important aspect of uh, growing that you uh, kind of honor the things that um, rooted in you initially. Like yeah. Kiss was your favorite band. Like they were oh, your yeah. More identity. than my favorite band. I mean, right. they well, were my superheroes. They were yeah. my I mean, idols, that was, music. Yeah, I mean, same with like with me and Metallica. It wasn't, I was, you know, even though they weren't as, uh, you know, um, visual, theatrical, I mean, it visual, but like, characters. but yeah, for, they me, superheroes. for me, I was, a, I was a card carrying member of the club. It was, I was like, people at school would call me like in my friends, the Metallica kids. Cause I had 40 different was this Metallica like shirts. Black album, post so, black no, album? well, you got to remember that I was, I was, uh, I was born in 85. So I was oh, six wow. when the black album came out. Look so who it that, is. So, hey, you remember Sean? Yep. I, I was hoping that we'd have a cameo. <laughs> I call him uh, monkey because I hold him like my chimp. My, that's funny. My pet chimp. Okay, that's, that's enough funny. of you for now. But, so anyway, uh, so 85, you were born? I was born Holy in 85. Cow. So I was six when the black album came out. So I didn't, I had to go backwards. But so it was around the load oh, era. Oh, so they got better and better. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, but but to me, like, it was, I had a whole wall of just Metallica. I learned all the riffs. It was like my, oh, yeah. it was who I was. It wasn't, it wasn't what I liked. It was who I was. And so to see that you have like, kind of, you know, you went on your own ventures, you created this whole life, but that, that there's still that core thing that you can connect to and yeah. whether it's kiss or whatever it is for anybody, it's so, it's so interesting to hear. Cause it goes back to what you were saying about, uh, um, creating your palette of all the different colors, you right. know what I mean? And like, as many as you were saying that uh i was thinking that you know although we are all connected we're all very similar in in a lot of ways like there's a there's a common thread you know we're not as different as we seem we're also like extremely extremely rare in that sense like no one has been born exactly the time you were had exactly the same experiences and as like has that exact color palette you know and then you're mixing it with with my color palette now. And it's just this weird, like rare, uh, but you know, you have to be, you have to be willing to put yourself into your art though. Some people don't want to, some people don't want to reveal themselves in that way or don't know how to, or whatever. Me, when I was listening to the wall as a 12 year old, 13 year old and hearing mother, hearing comfortably now I'm hearing all these songs about, um, self doubt and the world in general and all, you know, questioning everything. Um, and it really moved me and, and, you know, more than probably any other band. Of course, I'm a huge Beatles fan and, and, you know, many other bands, but Pink Floyd, you know, lyrically, um, Roger just, it was so like heart open. It's kind of what I love about The Cure's Disintegration, which is one of my other like top three of all time albums. There's a real sad sweetness to the lyrics that Robert Smith would write. It's like, they're kind of, he's really putting himself out there. You know, he's being like very open He's talking about weaknesses and doubt and all this. Well, there are a lot of people that aren't going to go to that palette. They're just going to either copy their heroes or they're going to want to put a mask up and just be like a metal guy or whatever. So you can have the greatest toolbox in the world, but if you never get the hammer and the nails out and start building stuff with it, um, you're not going to see those differences. And I think that's why things are 
a lot more samey samey than they are different. I yeah, think if everyone put themselves more into it, it right. would even be more diverse artistically right. speaking because nobody's the same. Even mm -hmm. if we, even my brothers that grew up in my house with me and my sister, same parents, same house, same right. within a couple of years, totally different people, totally yeah. different people. Yeah, you're, um, you're... And, and if I had a twin, he'd probably still be different than me yeah. because we're all going to see things differently right. and experience things differently. So, And I think that's really cool because that's, and that's absolutely true because there, like we said, there, we all are having these very specific experiences through our very specific lens and right. no one else is going to see it exactly like that. Um, and, but you're right that the key to that toolbox is being as authentic as you can. And, right. and that introspection, which you referenced way earlier and, and which you can, which is plastered all over Anacrusis. And I would assume any other art or anything you do is because without that introspection and without the honest looking at yourself, then yeah, you, you, you're not, you're painting with someone else's colors. Stop painting right. with someone else's right. colors. Like you've right. got your own. But sometimes though, that can mm -hmm. be good too, because ever since I like kind of like fell in love with this idea of production and being able mm -hmm. to layer instruments and tracks and, and build music. And I mean, and I'm going back to a time like mid eighties. I mean, we're talking cassette four track. We're talking pre no digital anything. So you, you could still do layers, but you bounce them back and forth and the sound was horrible. You'd lose, you know, um, and going back to Metallica, by the way, I never crap on Metallica. I'm an old school Metallica fan, but I get it. I get it. Right. And, and when the Black Album came out, yeah, it was a little different, even though in, in hindsight, I tend to throw that over the fence with the old stuff more than a lot of other people do. I tend to think that's that's a load is a little bit more of the cutoff for me. I think the Black Album still has a lot of really great redeeming qualities to it. Yeah. But yeah, we were, I mean, I'm not a big Kill em All fan though. I'm a Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets was my, wow. that's okay. to me the real peak stuff. And that's when um, we were able to see them and, and experience it. Of course, we were older. We were at the point where we we could copy them musically. We already had, you know, a band together while this right. stuff was coming out, you know. And like Rain and Blood and all these albums. Um, it was a pretty interesting time. Like I always wish I was a few years older because I missed out on all the KISS tours because I was too young and I couldn't mm -hmm. see them in the 70s, right. even if I knew about them. But then again, the thing that was cool about being the age that I am was if you if you got into metal, you went from like going to some big concert hall with 10, 12, 15,000 people and seeing the band that big, you know, all of a sudden your bands, and I'm not talking about just local bands, I'm talking about the bands you love, like Metallica as much as any band, KISS or Van Halen, and you got to go see them with like two, 300 people. Mm-hmm. 10 feet away from the stage and probably hung out and talked to him after the show. Yep. And so that was the era of music that I kind of ended up mm -hmm. growing up in, in my late teens and early twenties. You got to be really, it was like very, the connection was much stronger. I think between like those club bands, those club tours right. and the, and the guys who right there in your face and they're mm -hmm. feeding the band, the band's feeding the crowds. And I mean, I remember going to Mississippi nights for a different show and hearing Metallica playing, and I didn't know who they were yet. This is probably Kill em All stuff. And you heard people talking, oh, this band, Metallica, Metallica, Metallica. Wow. Um, and there were already people that were into them. And, and probably it was, I got into them just right before uh, Red Lightning came out. So they, was, they were already around. They had, I don't think they'd played in St. Louis before. But, um, and then that's one of my largest um, regrets in life musically was they, Metallica, Wasp, and Armored Saint came here in 84. I've my brother, my older brother, Sam, was getting married the next day. And we had freaking wedding rehearsal. And we, I didn't get to go. We missed it. Wow. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I will say there's, I, cause I worked at uh, CD warehouse for a very long time. Wow, uh, record okay. store. Yeah. So, and I would always, I always reference two tours that people always talk about. And 
people will come in and they say that they saw Metallica with Wasp and Armored Saint. Right. And they'll say, uh, Manor, Megadeth. Yeah. Oh, that's not actually that. That's oh, okay. I, I actually, I oftentimes hear people talk about how they heard or they saw Van Halen open for Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. Um, probably those like... are the two, but oh, okay. that, that that's, I haven't heard the story from, I missed it with the Metallica one. Yeah. <laughs> I had... the first. Oh yeah. The reflections thing. And I think Metallica, I'm pretty sure they opened out of the three bands, but what's really cool was the guys in Anacrusis. Now they all went to the, I went to, um, the neighboring, I went to Rittner district and they were in Pattonville guys. So they were within a couple of miles, but kind of like the, the rival high schools, you know, but a couple of the guys in Anacrusis went to the different high school. We, we got introduced through my drummer, Chad, um, who, uh, he did the interview with us. He was the second drummer, uh, on the show. Um, and Chad actually went to both high schools and he knew Kevin and those guys. And then I knew him through some friends and he actually introduced me to Kevin. And, you know, you talked earlier about sort of like, um, it's like kind of how you can say like spiritually speaking when it comes like biblical to the, the idea of creating spiritual life, not physical life, but continuing on spiritual life. But in, in some ways, um, so Chad, Chad introduced, and I talked to Kevin on the phone one day, we really hit it off and we started hanging out. And then from that, came Anacrusis. And I could tell you another pretty well-known, decent band, Tribes at Knives, was another St. Louis band. They came out of that that conversation between me and Kevin. Many people got married based on based on people we all met through right. that connection, um, including my wife was married to the lead... My wife's sister was married to the lead singer of this other band that went to school with, with all the Pattonville guys. I mean, I met my ex-wife through them. I've got friends that are still married to people they met through the through that connection between wow. me and Kevin and then those two my my friends and his friends and then us yeah. becoming a band and then some of his friends and some of my friends became Tribes at Knives which was another like an alt, heavy alternative kind of like a al more alternative version of Anacrusis kind of and they played around and actually you know did their demos and stuff and as I say about the whole idea of palettes uh, like, I love the idea of like I think I um my true love is like production in a way now I'm not a great engineer. There are guys that know how to get great sounds, and that's really important. And, and you don't always know that early on. You make all those mistakes of, you know, trying to polish all those turds, as they say, and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as putting it together, I think my strongest qualities are to take somebody else's ideas and to try to hone them into something the best it can be, which is what a producer really should do. And that's what I did with um, Tribes at Knives guys in those early four-track demos. They ended up getting signed and doing an album. Um, I always like to, and it's like with the Kiss movie, like I didn't film the movie. I didn't write the movie. I didn't plan it all out. But taking what I have, I want to try to tweak it because I'm sort of a natural born critic in a lot of, of myself okay. too. But I'm one of those people, I could just see the flaw in everything super easy. And I'm not looking for it. In fact, I try not to see it. But it's that this, that attention to detail that lends itself to like going, oh, every little bit of this, how can this be the best? Like this, it's okay, but what can I do to make this a little bit better? And then I, I never have ever learned how to stop though. Because mm -hmm. like when I was, before I got into music, I was like an artistic kid. Like I like to draw and paint. Thank God I didn't stay with art because I would have probably lasted five seconds in the modern art world because I'm very, right. very traditionally minded when it comes to a lot of stuff. So, but um, yeah, like in grade school, I was like the kid and that drew the stuff on the bulletin board, whatever. Um, but the problem is I'm a perfectionist. And so I would do something and I'd, oh, I get this, this needs a little bit more of this. Ah, oh, just a little bit more here. Oh, wait, maybe a little here. And then I'm like, oh, now it looks like shit. And they throw it away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to learn to stop at a certain point. And I have a yeah. real hard time with that. Um, I'm kind of like 
the George Lucas of music in a way. Like, I'm one of the guys that used to be pissed because he never would release the original cut of Star Wars as it was with all that, without all that stupid new fixer-upper. But I'm the same kind of guy that I hate my old stuff and I always want to try to tweak it to make it better. Right. So I'm just like him in that way. Yeah. But I understand why people get pissed about not. They just want yeah. to just leave it alone. And then on the other hand, my favorite all-time favorite band is the Beatles probably. And that's on every – that's musically speaking. Talent-wise, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. And the, the huge difference – was that those guys would go into a studio back then and they'd say, okay, we need a title song for the movie, Hard Day's Night. And John and Paul would go in the other room for half an hour. They'd come out with a song called Hard Day's Night and they sit there and record it. And then 50, 60, however many years later, that's the record. That's it. That's the song. I can't even and, imagine. And it's that, that spontaneity that I've never really had until I did some recordings around 2005 called Cruel April, which is a bunch of acoustic-based stuff. What had happened is I hadn't played music for a couple of years, I became a Christian and then I got kind of wrapped up in that whole thing. And I didn't really know what was acceptable to me or to God right. musically. Had a really hard struggle with a lot of that. And then all of a sudden, all my old friends were getting into like, you know, cover bands, tribute bands, uh, playing acoustic stuff. So I got an acoustic guitar because that's what I used to do when these guys all met me. Uh, they'd come to my parents' house, my brother and his friends, and I'd be playing Mother or something in the basement with acoustic guitar right. or a comfortably number. I loved Simon and Garfunkel and all the singer-songwriter stuff. And in fact, that's kind of what I am as a singer-songwriter in a metal, in metal, which is okay. kind of unusual. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can say that. But I like, so I just started like learning a few songs I really loved and I don't, I don't have a great voice. I've got, a, my, I think I got my own thing going, but I'm not a naturally great singer. So I, oh, I did the same thing I ended up doing when I first started playing guitar, which was, I can't sing anybody's shit. I'm going to write my own stuff. So right. I started just writing these songs on acoustic and I, it had no direction. I wasn't trying to do anything like Anacrusis or anything. And I just started writing songs and within about two months, I wrote like a dozen songs. I'm talking like I would sit down, write a progression with a melody. The next day, I'd, I'd just record the acoustic. I'd go in the car back and forth to work, and I'd start singing the melodies. And the next day, I'd write the lyrics. I'd throw some bass on there, whatever, keyboard, guitar stuff, whatever I thought sounded good. Song would be done three days. Right. Brand new song, recorded. Boom. Leave it alone, like the Beatles did. Right. Next song. Next song. And I did like a dozen songs. Like Not like, oh, I'm going to write them all and then record all the guitars, record all the... Like, I literally wrote... Like on a Monday, the song didn't exist. By Thursday, it was fully recorded. You know, you know what I mean? I think and that I was think... very different. But I used that. I learned how to like just get out of my own way, so to speak, right. which is really what it is. Um, so by the time I got to like doing my solo stuff, and and particularly the trauma album um, that I did during was that during COVID, right? Like a year year or two ago, mm -hmm. um, I wrote that whole thing in like. I don't know, like a month and a half. From wow, that's a lot Record, of music. For wrote a month and, and recorded and a half. it all. I mean, yeah. lyrics, folk, everything. Yeah. I did it kind of like Cruel April, but in a metal version. Because the Dancing with the Past, the big double album that I did first, that was like me trying to uh, write new stuff, take old stuff I never used, try to write new stuff. With the, it was during the reunion phase when we were doing some reunion shows. And we thought, eh, maybe we could do a new album under a different name and without our guitar player, Kevin. And because I always wrote the majority of the music. And, and so that wasn't really thought out. It, it took like three years and it was like everything. I, every time I record, I think this is the last thing I'm ever going to do. So I want to yeah. I want to say what I want to say, you know. But when I did trauma, it was like just very off the cuff. I mean, bam, bam, right. bam. I remember... <clears throat> You know, coming up with an idea, throwing some drum stuff down, guitars, bass, putting a vocal, and then three days later, I'm listening to the song. Like, wow, this wasn't like my song. It was like somebody else's song. This was so out of the ether or something, you, you know, know, that it's, it's like, wow, I don't even know where these songs came from. 
but I'm just letting them come. You know, and I it's... realized that I'm way more prolific than I ever thought I was because I just get in my way all the time. Too much self-doubt, too much uh, second thinking, everything, too much, you know, of all that stuff. And then plus, you know, you get older, you get better at what you do. You should theoretically, your new stuff should always be better than your old stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you should be learning every once in a while, you, you know, the, the um, spark plugs just fire perfect though, you know, and every once in a while you get yeah. something special. That's like, got really, you know, great timing and everything just, just clicking. Right. But, um, Generally, though, bands that go from here down to there, it's always like you're either doing something for the wrong reason or you're quest- or you weren't authentic in the first place. And this is really who you are, you know, whoever. Yeah. Um, like Meta- I think Metallica would have done. I mean, I understand the commercial side of it, the money, but Metallica would have changed their name around the time of load. I think they'd have gotten a lot less crap because right. you can't keep writing Master of Puppets over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Anyway, so it's like, what would they, what were they supposed to do? Be ACDC? I mean, so I get it. And I never, I never crap on them because I'm an old school diehard fan. And sometimes nobody hates Metallica more than someone who loved Metallica before, Obviously, right? Yeah. Um, but, but when Metallica blew up huge with the Black Album, I remember thinking, nobody deserves it more than Metallica. Nobody deserves it more. I mean, they absolutely were the best at what, mm-hmm. the, at what we all were doing. I mean, right. you couldn't deny it. Yeah. Um, they were just great. They worked their asses off. They're a great live band. They write great stuff. And I and I didn't feel like, oh, they sold out. I was like, hooray, cool. Yeah. You know, they talk about the big four. There's not there's never been a big four. There's Metallica and then there's everyone else. Three other guys in, yeah. in distant second yeah. place. And then there's yeah. all the there's rest there's a big cloud of dust behind Metallica. Right. right. And you know, and it's Metallica interesting. Were, and Metallica didn't, you know, it didn't really open the door like I think a lot of people thought it would. Like mm-hmm. there never was another Metallica, you know, like Thrash I, or I don't think that happens in metal as much as we think it does. Like there'll be a big band from a certain genre and you'll think that whole genre is going to, I mean, like even right. on a smaller scale, like Dragon Force got really big. And I remember yeah. thinking all the other bands that sound like that are going to get big. Nope. Right. Just that one. Sometimes and, it is just a, a one thing. Uh, you would think there'd be like 15 ghost bands now, but nope. you know, they're kind of doing their one. own thing. But yeah, with, um, uh, well, here's the problem. And I, if you've ever seen the death angel documentary, which is really good. They talk about when they finally got signed, um, to the major label, like on the third album, I think it was. And all of a sudden, you know, they turn in 20 demos and they give them like 18 back and say, where's the hooks, you know, we're right. rejecting like, and I'm like, the the nice thing about being um, sort of half ignored and overlooked on our, on Metal Blade was that they never even asked to hear a demo. We did whatever wow. we wanted to do. Basically we'd say, okay, we just, here's where we're going to go. I mean, we'd send them to them, but it yeah. wasn't like they approved anything, not a note of any of it. Yeah. We Cause I mean, you any- guys, there's nothing there's nothing on those albums that sound like an attempt to be something else someone else no if anything it was an attempt to not be famous <laughs> yeah like you we're going to do we're going to try to not do everything that everyone successful does um yeah. no it was uh there's so much going on psychologically when you're when you're making music um in, in the different ages of your life i mean we we got together anna Cruz's got together um i was just out of high school Two of the guys had a year left of high school, and then our bass player, John's a few years older. But you got to figure what goes on in your life between the age of 17 or 18 and 25. Uh, some of us get married. Some of us even have kids during that time. You move out of your parents' house. We were all living at home with our parents when we started Anna Cruces. Mm-hmm. By the time we ended, none of us, except I think Kevin, was still at home. The rest of us had been married and or divorced and or through rehab and clean and sober and all these things. Um, you're just not even hardly the same people that you were when you started. 
but but in a way you can watch it's kind of like a a child actor you can kind of look at the four albums and go in order and sort of see us develop like mm-hmm. our, our progression um not just musically but you kind of can see our lives develop That's like watching a kid grow up on tv you know yeah and what's interesting about that and there's so many other points that you've made that i kind of want to touch on but what's interesting about that especially is that if you listen to those four anacrusis albums and there's a even though I, I came into it late, like obviously when I heard them, they were, everything was done, you know, I mm. was, you know, but what's interesting about them is as, as a fan, I feel like watching the progression, it's natural to watch it. And then I feel like screams and whispers is it like, it's, it's like, Oh, you did it. Like you did the thing. That's how I felt too. Like that's if why, that, I don't it sounds think like ever, that. I don't feel like there could have really been. And I think if there would have been another album by Anna Cruz, it would have, I may have taken the orchestral stuff a little farther. That might have been uh, another step. But each album, you can hear there's definitely things changing and growing. We're finding ourselves. We're developing it. Um, And I think, yeah, to me, Screams and Whispers was the pinnacle of what we were trying to climb to. And I think that's what you're saying. And I agree. And I think we could have maybe um, repeated it, maybe sort of like, I mean, I don't know that there's really anything uh, that creatively different about Master Puppets than Ride the Lightning. They're, they're sister albums to me almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably, I mean, I'm a Ride the Lightning guy. I like the production a little better. I'm, I just favor that album slightly, even though I can understand that there's more depth probably to Master Puppets. But to okay, me, they're yeah. almost like one big awesome album yeah. that came out in two pieces. Yeah. Um, sort of like Rubber Soul Revolver, how these sister albums sort of exist. Um, I can see us maybe have still, we maybe we had enough of the tank to do another Screams and Whispers. Right. Oh maybe yeah, and I would have. set of good songs. But Absolutely. I don't think you've just seen the kind of leap because what was going on internally was horrible at the time at the band. We were so over each other, so sick of the label, so sick of everything um, that I remember being on tour. Um, you know, the album was already released. I hadn't even thought about a new song. I hadn't even thought about any new ideas. I, I right. knew inside because um, when we did Manic Impressions, the third album, the one before it, um, we were really excited. We had just signed a Metal Blade. They had Warner Brothers distribution, so we didn't have to worry about you know everything being in the import section or maybe not even being anywhere you could find it. Um, but then uh, right at that time when Manic came out, uh, Armored Saint had done a reunion album, Symbol of Salvation. It was like Metal Blade's big push and all that. We got kind of overlooked. And I was like, okay, I get it, you know, whatever. Um, they're old school, Brian, one of Brian's favorites and all that, Brian Slagle's favorites and all that. But then when we did Screams and Whispers, Merciful Fake got back together, it was the reunion album, and it was kind of exactly the same thing. Wow. And I remember being like, you know, Lucy can pull the, pull the football away once, maybe twice, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to keep kicking at, the, at Lucy's yeah. football because Absolutely. it's like, man, I can learn my lesson, you know. Um, and so I didn't have it. And then when my wife wanted to get divorced, I was like, you know what? I, I can't just keep going like this. I'm yeah. one of these people that um, some people get inspired when they're going through a lot of like sort of uh, emotional stuff or heavy times. Um, I shut down. I really shut down. I tend to yeah. just really I get very sort of self-destructive. It's almost like it's almost like that teenage like, oh, I just want to die. It's mm-hmm. like you sort of creatively you do that. You sort of fantasize that I'm going yeah. to kill myself. I'm right. just going to stop my whole life and I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And there's a part you're of still you. here. Yeah. Sort of done Physically. this. Like, yeah. You've sort of done this, uh, not literally, but figuratively. Yeah. yeah. In some ways it's almost like, I just want to end, end it all. Yeah. I want to just tear it all down because yeah. there's anger and frustration, uh-huh. um, you know, betrayal, all that stuff. And some people can draw from that and it makes them work harder towards stuff. Me, I just tend to shut down. So it's not good. Uh, somewhere in the middle is where I really do my best, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I do think that there's there's a lot to be said about that. And I think that uh, 
you know, dealing with those heavy, heavy emotions, uh, oftentimes do allow us access to, to grow, but when you're in it, like to expect anybody to really, cause I used to have a thing and I, similar to what you were saying, where you say, I just want to end it. I just want to be gone. I used to have this thing whenever I was in a really dark place, I'd have this thing where I'd be like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And it wasn't home. Like my house. It was like, where's that place where I just felt safe, you know? And it's just like, if you were outside in a storm, you would just want to go inside, just go where it's warm. And that's kind of like, and why would you, if I, if you were out in the storm and I was like, Hey, Ken, write me a song. You'd be like, I'm, I can't. It's like, I need to be in a warm place. Like I need to be safe first. But at the same time, I need a little pressure. I'm a procrastinator from hell. So Uh I kind of need a deadline too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'll just kind of whatever and dilly dally until I, and then all of a sudden, Oh, I got to Like even, from as far back as I can remember in school, I do my homework at like 10 o'clock at night, the night before school. And it was like, Oh yeah. But it's because I don't want to do it, you know? And it's like the the, the thing with suicide, I I think the vast majority of people that, that either want to or do in their lives, I don't think they want to be dead. I think they just want it to stop. They want, they want the ride to stop. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. you're, you're on this crazy carnival ride and you're just yelling at the guy, just stop the ride. Yeah. No, it's not that they want to, you know, do some harm. They just don't want to deal with it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think human beings need to feel safe. You know, we need to feel, you know, in order to thrive, but you're absolutely right. There is value. I mean, there, there has to be tension. There has to be friction in order to create anything. It's the flint against the rock. Yeah. Well, in the idea of um, trauma for the last album, the title, and then the song too, is that, you know, I, the older I get, the more and more I realize that we all have suffered a lot of trauma in our lives. And it may not be obvious to everybody. It may not be, it, life is relative. We're all differently sensitive or differently sensitized. Um, I always say life is an autopsy. This world is an autopsy. And some people are going to look in fascination and some of us are going to turn away and throw up, you know? And that's kind of the way life is. And we're not all built the same. We don't all have, what, what might not be any big deal to some person might be something that you heard or saw that sticks with you your whole life. And we all are um, really wounded children inside, not to get all no, I love this. And stuff. This is my favorite kind of stuff. So Right. Continue. And so we're all, we're all, um, you know, I remember um, I had the kind of the spiky hairdo and stuff. And I always kind of did that. And I remember like my, my first big uh, love relationship in high school. My girlfriend like was a Nikki Six fan, right? She loved Nikki Six. Now, when you're in high school and you're in a music, you're a musician, you always hate some band or musician because your girlfriend always thought you're never going to be this guy. Right. Right. And then I realized one day I was like 50 and I'm like, I'm still, am I doing spiky hair? Am I still trying to win I'm over still... my high school girlfriend Wow! in wow. some weird way? Am I still yeah. trying to say that I could be as good as that guy or as, as right. cute as that guy or whatever? Well, yeah. There's teen because you inside. You'll see, this in, you'll see this in your friends. If you really look, uh-huh. everybody's kind of got those um, Hollywood idols, music idols that they tend to sort of, maybe they look a little like them and they kind of run with it. Whatever. But, but I noticed that in some of my friends that if you go back to those early relationships, I guarantee some girl had a thing for some famous guy and you, some part of you is still trying to compete with that guy in some right. way. I think so, that's, that's very valuable too, because once you know that, if you know that there's still uh, you know, young Ken that still wants someone to tell him that he's just as good right. as Nikki six, then right. you can then go in and say that, right. like you don't need her. Now, now you can go into that right. inner part of you and say, Hey man, you're good. 
Yeah, and don't, it's not don't about, worry about the hair gel anymore. Like, get rid of, like, grow it out. Like, well, my can, wife will be, my wife will say, like, uh, we've been together 28 years, I think now, or since right after Anna Cruz just broke up. I, my ex-wife actually introduced me oh, to my wow. wife, was, so there was at least something good came out of it. Um, so, but uh, she'll say, "Oh my God, can't you ever get over this high school?" I'm like, "No, you don't understand. It's not her. It's not the relationship. I don't have. I don't even know that person. I didn't yeah. even know that person then, really, mm-hmm. as a person. But it's not that. It's that." you get your ego bruised in some weird way and you spend the rest of your life, I think, trying to, you know, in some weird way, the whole thing with music, uh, subconsciously, I don't know if I'm still trying to impress my high school girlfriend by yeah. being a famous musician because, well, you, you know what I mean? You think, you think about this with anything. I mean, we all have these points of impact almost with trauma, you know, and that bruise. So like, let's say if I, let's put it in a simple, like uh, material way. If I throw a rock at you, and it hits you. And then the next day I come out and I have a rock in my hand, you're going to flinch. So these wounds have natural reactions that we hold on to our body holds on to them and our subconscious holds on to them. So of course, but the way that I, and this goes back to you saying that the introspection is where the, that value comes because even you knowing that is just like, even you being like, Oh, it's not that it's not, I know, like, I know where, where the, the pain and the wound is, and then I can react to it differently. And I just think that's so cool. To yeah, like... you think of the power that people have um, over each other in those emotional ways. Like if I hadn't been through a relationship like I was in at that age, I mean, my whole life would be different in a lot of ways. Maybe, maybe not, because I probably would have ended up in that similar situation at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's not all just back to one point. It's all of those things along the way. Right. And there are many, many things along the way. And especially, I mean, I never thought I would be older than 30 my whole life. I never wow. pictured that I would wanted to be any old. I mean, yeah. I was in high school. I was like, I'm going to be a rock star or I would rather just die. I'm never going to go to regular work. Um, I remember my dad worked for Coca-Cola in the seventies and in the early eighties. And, um, my dad was a musician and singer, and but he married like the most boring woman on earth, my my wonderful mother. Now they're both annoying each other in heaven, hopefully. But um, my mom and dad couldn't be more different. And I'm like a perfect mix of both of them. So I have that exact turmoil in me all the time. Oh, I've so got my dad's ambition to, I like the attention in a way. I like to um, present myself. I like to put stuff out there. I like to get people's reactions. Um, I have this ambition to want to do something, but then I've got my mother's, my mother suffered super bad anxiety her whole life. I got the anxiety from her, panic attacks, OCD, all that stuff. So I have the ambition, but then I always second guess myself and I always shoot my, I remember um, Kevin, our guitar player um, from Anna Cruces one time, he said, we're very different in that way. He's very, he doesn't get shut down over, he, he uses, uh, neg- he tries to be like Mr. Positive guy, which is good. Mm-hmm. I can't bullshit myself, but, but if he can, that's cool. You know, yeah. um, I'm a little more of a realist, but I remember him saying to somebody one time, somebody said something about, I was doing something. He's like, hey, why don't you maybe do a gig or something? Maybe I'm nah. And then um, um, a third person said, you know, Ken, Ken is just has a fear of failure. And, and Kevin goes, no, Ken has a fear of success. Wow. And that was actually pretty interesting and very insightful. Even when we were touring and doing Anna Cruces, I was married. I didn't want, I didn't really, I wanted to just have, be married and just be a guy with a home life. And I didn't want to be, I don't, I've never been drunk in my life. I've never, I smoked pot a couple times as a, as a teenager. I smoked pot a couple times. I am not made for pot. It, it gave me depersonalization. It's almost like LSD for me. Um, I don't have the mind for it. I don't have the mind for, I, I, maybe I'm a, too much of a control freak. I don't know, but I don't like to be out of my senses. And so 
that's a weird thing to be if you're touring and you're a musician because and, and I'm a one woman guy. I was never looking for groupies. I was never I was there to play music. I was there to try to, you know, my dream was to make money and buy my parents an awesome house someday. You know, that's the that's the the real dream there. Yeah. I wasn't looking to get girls. I mean, I could get girls without a band. Come on, you know, but <laughs> but not with the long was, hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so no, but it wasn't about getting girls. It wasn't about, I mean, girls were always the problem anyway. Um, it wasn't about getting famous. I knew I wouldn't never, I would never like be in the, uh, uh, good in circles of celebrities. You know, I'm not that kind of person in 1990. I went to the out to LA for the uh, foundations forum, which was a big radio sort of like a convention for radio station, uh, for the music industry. Basically you had big Hilton hotel and like each, you know, all the labels had like a hotel room set up with their swag and all that. Um, and there were bands playing showcases. Anyway, I went out there in 1990. This was just around the time we were doing our second album. And, you know, we're Midwest guys. Like I'm a St. Louis guy born and raised. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've seen the movies. I've talked to people, but I've never been around the scene. And I remember going up there and within a half a day, I thought to myself, God, I don't want to be around this. I don't want to be a part of any of this because everybody seemed, and this isn't a slight to anybody. Everybody's their own person, but everyone seems so superficial, so fake. So I don't know. I just yeah, thought yeah. to myself, I, this isn't me at all. Like, well, you mentioned it earlier that everyone's temperament is going to be different. We all are sensitized. Well, these are people who and... are into music, but they are into the idea of making the business of music, and it's right. not about. And and what I noticed was that everybody was only worried about finding the next new band before this guy found. You know, hey, you hear mm -hmm. this new band? And I thought to myself, do you ever listen to the old band anymore? I mean, do yeah. you listen to any of these bands? Are you just looking? You know, and a lot of the women, I thought. They just like to be around band guys. They're not really, you know, they're not yeah. music people really. They just want to be around a bunch of guys with long yeah. hair or be yeah. around the scene. And I thought to myself, how do I, I, how do these people identify with me in any way, shape, or form, um, creatively? And I'm, it, dude, I'm not like some crazy avant-garde, you know, I'm not Kate Bush or whatever. Right. I'm just doing, yeah, it was guitars, bass, and drums, and singing like most bands. It wasn't that crazy, you know. And so I'm, and, I, and I'd be like, but I just. It really took the wind out of my sails, man. I remember after that experience thinking, what what can I hope for? That we get signed to a big so label and then I get to be around these people all the time and have them tell me which songs are good enough for my album and which ones aren't good enough for my album. Um, because I've said this many times, I when I write music, I write music for myself. I write it to myself and for myself. It's, and I tweak it till I like it. And then if if, I, if no other person on earth likes it, I'm still okay with it. I like it. And if mm. other people do like it, win-win. And we both right. connect. And yeah. that's where the connection comes in. You know, I've always said the kind of cool thing about Anacrusis is, you know, which is pretty rare. Uh, by and large, you will never read anything negative about our band, really. No. Either I never got into them, really, or maybe uh, not my thing, uh, or or they freaking rule. They're the greatest thing on earth. Or I don't really like them, but I but I appreciate them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we were authentic. We we're true to ourselves. And I think yeah. if you are yourself and if you're true and you're honest with yourself, uh, first of all, you're going to connect with people. It might not be as many people as the mm -hmm. bands that just have the guys that just want to drink beer and whatever and, act, and, and slam or whatever. And mm -hmm. I remember people trying to like slam in at Riverport during Pantera, like in between yeah. the rows. It was like ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> anyway, um, and that's the thing, you can't take it all too seriously. The other big problem I have with metal is that, I mean, I've always been a little bit more of a mellow guy, even when I was younger. I was very conservatively minded. Um, I was, I'm really more of an observer 
of this world than I am I of, a, of, yeah. of a participant most of the times. Very, I was always very cautious, you know, probably too much so. I can really. I always watched all my friends doing all this stupid shit, making all the mm-hmm. mistakes. I thought, you know, and I, I remember my ex-wife saying things like, well, I don't regret anything. Um, cause you got, and I'm like, I regret everything <laughs> I've ever <laughs> done. Yeah. I don't think you got to try everything once. You should mm-hmm. be able to look at the hot stove and go, I've seen other hot stuff. If I touch that, it's going to burn me. I don't need to do it to find yeah. out, you know? Yeah. So I was always very cautious and I was always a spectator. I was like the guy, the, the character, uh, Cameron Crowe character in Almost Famous reminds me a lot of myself cause I was sort of a little bit innocent, I guess, in a lot of ways. I was very... Um, when I was much younger, I was uh, before I was a huge cynic. I was much more idealistic. You know, mm-hmm. there's that old saying: uh, if you're if you're not a liberal at 25, you have no heart. If you're still a liberal at 40, you have no brain. That's mm-hmm. the old, that's the old political saying. But but yeah, when I was younger, I know in those early songs like "The World to Gain," you know, it's like all about we can if we just all try, we can make it a better world. You know, if we just all pull together, we can make it better. And then you get older and you're like, you know, I don't think anybody's pulling or trying. I don't think mm-hmm. then again, what my better world wouldn't probably be the world most other people want. So yeah. who's to say, you know, right. there's a balance to, to this whole world and we're all playing our roles. However, they're scripted or whatever you happen to believe with regard to that. But, um, you know, there's always a very weird balance to things like, you know, whenever you go to a concert, there's always like one asshole for every like 100 people that just right. kind of he won't shut up and ruins it for that little area. He's always behind me somehow. Yeah, you know? yeah. But there's not like every other guy is that guy. It's just, you know what exactly. I mean? There's a weird balance of, of, of good and bad in this whole world. But then again, how do I know? Maybe I'm annoying someone who don't even know well, it. The, and that's, that, that's the <laughs> thing. And even, even you letting that potential truth in where you're like, you say, hey, I feel like this guy is a jerk, but also maybe I am a jerk. So I'll even tell fun, I'll tell you a funny story, since you're such a Metallica guy. So we were on tour when the Snake Pit tour came through St. Louis, right? The really cool one with the... So um, we were on tour that year. And when we got back home, they came back through St. Louis that summer and played at the Riverport. And, you know, for the Black Album. And we went, I remember going to the concert. And uh, now I, I never saw Metallica in the club. I missed, I didn't see, and I didn't see them with Ozzy because I just didn't have any money. Uh, I didn't see the club tour, um, the Reflections tour. So this is the first time I'm I'm seeing Metallica, even though I've seen all the videos and all the bootlegs and all that stuff. And um, I remember sitting there way back in row RR or whatever, just under the video screens, you know, where the awning ends, the roof ends. And I remember just like after three or four songs thinking, this is weird, man. This is like Beach Balls Bound. I'm like, this is a Van Halen concert or something. This isn't like really Metallica to me. Now, again, I'm not knocking them, dude. If it would have been me, I'd have... Doing what I'm, and I think Metallica were always true to themselves up to that point. That's why I feel like that's still Metallica. They doing mm-hmm. their thing, man, and and they still are really doing their thing. Um, but I remember sitting there about and just watching the video of it, being kind of like, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's just like a different vibe to see a metal band in a big, giant amphitheater like this. And there's this, these girls in front of me, and they're they got their beers and they're dancing or whatever they're doing, and and I'm just trying not to be. I'm thinking like duct tape, shovel, rope, you know, <laughs> right. having dark thoughts. I'm yeah. just like, oh, anyway. And then in the encore, they start playing Sandman. And I'm, I'm not being a dick. I'm just, we're just sitting and watching. They're a mile away anyway. So we're watching right. the screens. And this girl turns around to me and she leans down, spills some of her beer. And she goes, come on, guys. It's Metallica. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, what? This world is so crazy sometimes. 
You know, I, I, I just showed you Metallica three years ago. You would have been, yeah, what the hell is this? I, I can relate on a couple levels there. One, I've always been like, I'm excitable. Like I'm passionate about the things that I love, but I'm also the guy who kind of stands with his arms crossed and watches the show from the yeah. back. Usually I'm more of an observer a lot yeah. of the times. And, and I'm never I, in the pit. I didn't want to yeah, get, I mean, I, when I, I was, I want to go see the band. I don't want to get my yeah, ass kicked. Yeah. I'm not there, there there's, I've been in there before when I was a teenager as yeah. much, but like mostly, I'm an observer, even like I can buy a front row ticket to a concert and I'm not going to stand up and scream. I'm just right. going to watch. Right. But uh, so one thing that stands out to me is that's always been a little bit of a thing that I've struggled with when other people are like, you're supposed to act like this. You're not like, act like, why aren't you get screaming? It's like, I, I can't like, there's part of me that like, I just, I can't get up and it's, scream. This like, is the complicated thing. You're like me like that. Like, I'm not like, and are you even watching the show if you're just running in circle? I mean, it's a whole different experience. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I'm an observer too. But when you're on stage, you want everybody to go apeshit yeah. crazy. So you, part yeah. of you wants everyone else to do it. Yeah. But you don't really act like that. And you know, that yeah. Delmar Hall show, I posted it, you know, on YouTube and everything. And everybody would go. And I used to really think the same thing. Because when you come up in the metal scene, the crazier the crowd is, the better your show is. Of right? Course. And if they're not going insane and getting, jumping on the stage and everything. And I remember several years ago doing a festival over in Belgium during the reunion stuff. And I remember this great stage. And I mean, great show I felt like and everything. And then everyone was very calm and very, it depends on where you're playing too. And I remember talking to people afterwards and saying, yeah, the crowd was kind of, and they're like, no, dude, everybody's just watching. Right. They're just you, checking it out, man. Yeah. Cause they're super into it. Yeah. And, you're, and you're I remember right hearing this more and more from fans of ours in particular and that video from Delmar Hall, people make comments online, oh, is the crowd asleep? And I'm like, dude, some of those people flew from Europe to see this oh, show. Yeah. They're the not world. asleep. They want to see it. They want to experience it. They want to hear it and watch yeah. us. They don't want to just act like a drunk mm -hmm. jackass and forget the whole thing the next yeah. day. And, and so it was really hard for me to, uh, to reckon with that. That and something else very interesting um, from a musical, I'm sorry if you wanted to reply to that, but, no, no, you're but when you were saying that, you know, you have to think about yourself. When you're on stage, you want, I mean, you want them tearing the roof down and setting uh -huh. the place on fire or something. But then when you're in the crowd, you're like, oh, asshole, you know, I'm trying to watch yeah. the show, dude. You know, can I be get close without getting, you yeah. know, smashed into by some idiot? Um, so anyway, um, the other thing, very interesting, there's a band we used to play with back in the day called Crude Slit. They're in, in, the, in the 80s. They're a local band. Really cool metal, but more kind of rush influence too and stuff like that. They were kind of like that gap yeah, just before thrash, kind of like the early to mid eighties, like Maiden, uh, Merciful Fate, and then before thrash came in, and we kind of overlapped them. And anyway, so the bass player um, Chris Special was from he's the one that went to Europe and did my solo shows with me, and Eric, the guitar player, was also from Crude Slit. So two of the guys on my little solo tour. But anyway, um, they have another guitar player. Um, Steve. Now we used to do shows with them all the time, and Steve got a lot more into hardcore stuff, and then played in a hardcore band up in Denver for decades after that, and toured with a lot of bands. And I was talking to him on the phone a couple of years back, and um, he oh, and I always said, you know, Steve, the weird thing was, I bet everybody in St. Louis was, and all the other bands were kind of like, I mean, we all acted cool to each other, but everybody was like, we should be the ones, we should be the band signed, we should. Get. And I remember thinking, man. We were the worst of all the local bands musically. I mean, we really were sloppy as hell. We mm -hmm. were doing thrash. We were, uh, my singing, I was just screeching. and whatever. I was not a good natural singer. But, um, and I was like, man, all the other bands were tight. 
and they had all their stuff together, man, and we just were kind of a little bit of a train wreck, not like a drunk swagger Guns N' Roses train wreck, like just like kind of a not put together yet train wreck. And he goes, no, dude, that's what I love about Anacrusis. You guys all had these little flaws in there that makes it so much better. He's like, because I'm sitting here trying to write these really like deep songs and get it all just right and sing it really pretty and He's like, dude, that's what I love about Anacrusis. You guys are doing like this complex stuff and there's always a little bit of a flaw in it, but that's what makes it feel more identifiable. Like you guys you know, are a dream theater. It's right. a little rough around the edges and that's what's cool. That's, and I thought, wow. And I kind of like gave myself a break. I was like, you know cool. what? You know yeah. what? Maybe I should not worry so much about being, and, and, here, and I'm somebody, I love people like Nick Cave, Neil Diamond, people that don't have a perfectly beautiful crooner voice but they have a really good character to their voice. New Metal Army, Justin, he's not a great crooner, but he's got a very great way of delivering the lyrics and the songs. And so I'm a big fan of, of, of I mean, of course, I, Steve Perry's great. All these guys are great singers, mm. but man, I like the guy. I can identify more with a guy that doesn't have a super great range. It's uh -huh. a little bit pitchy sometimes. It's a little bit rough around the edges. But then for some reason, I'm not able to project that through my own music. I want it to be perfect. Yeah. And so oh, it's yeah. really interesting, I think, how we we're not able to really put ourselves in all those different shoes all the time. No, you know? absolutely. I don't think, I, I actually think that's a really good tool to use. Um, you know, like if you, cause I'm very self-critical. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. I would say, cause I've been, as I've started this project, this podcast project, I keep referring to it as like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing where like, I'm normally like, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then yes. there's like this one night where I'm like, I can do it. And that's when I right. email Ken. But what I think is really interesting yeah. is like about what you said, uh, because the people who are self-critical, like, like we are that have an easy time telling other people that they're doing great. And we, I love the flaw. I love you know, everything yeah. about, you know, what you're doing. And I love the, the imperfections, but we can't say it to ourselves. But you don't even, know their imperfection when it's somebody else. It, absolutely. They would never release an imperfection. Right, right. We don't even way. hear it most of the time. Yeah. And, but what else is, what else is interesting is sometimes I'll think about it like that, where when I get really self-critical, I'll think, you know, would I let, you know, someone talk to my friend that way? Like I'll picture, you know, someone saying, going up to a friend of mine and being you sound like, like, hey, such a millennial. <laughs> yeah, do I? <laughs> like, no, a little. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I can't. Yeah, deny like, oh, it. would I talk to my friend the way I'm But like, what if friend. someone came up to someone I knew and was like, hey, dude, you can't right. release that. You suck. You can't make a podcast because you, you gotta don't have know a what... filter. You got to have some, yeah, but you like, have if, some quality control. Right. You know? But if someone said that, I would be, I'd say, no, dude, you can't say that to someone. But I say it to myself all the time. Yeah. I let so it the happen. Reason the reason I tend to get real, I'll get real defensive about the stuff I do sometimes because yeah. I've, I've criticized the hell out of it in my mind before anybody else even I hears agree. it or I, sees it. Right. And so don't knock it, dude. I already checked it out and it's all okay. It's a okay. It might that's not be your thing, but that's yeah. on you. <laughs> now, so that's that. And that's kind of somewhere I need to get, I think, because oftentimes, even if I feel really great about an interview or any project I do, um, I'll walk out of the room feeling great, but somebody else who says that sucked might shatter that, yeah. you know, it well, might, you know, if you're doing things for yourself and you use a little quality control and you have self-awareness and you're not writing, you know, she's a rocker, whatever kind of silly stuff that you're, or and if you do and you're happy with that, that's fine too. But if you're right. trying to do something like that and you're really analyzing yourself and thinking it through and you're confident in it. And I'm not, I'm not going to say I have no insecurities in this world at all, but I, I've never really, you know, someone once said, your opinion of me is none of my business. 
Yes. You know, and so if I'm happy with something I've done, and the problem is sometimes I'm not happy about what I've done. And so when mm-hmm. people point it out, that's where it really gets you because you're like, that's, I know, yeah. like, no, it's not perfect. I know right. that to do, but you're not supposed to point that out to me. That's funny. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is like to be self-critical is, is fine. And then what you have to be able to do is say, not like, oh, everything I do is perfect and you're an idiot if you don't like it. But you have to do is say, I, if you like it, that's great. And if you mm-hmm. don't, I still do. Mm-hmm. And we're just different people. Right. You know, we just have different tastes. Because, you know, sometimes I'll listen to, like when I was doing trauma, I'd listen. And that stuff was almost like cruel April. I would write those songs and it, like from scratch, three days later, totally recorded. Because I've got a nice setup where I can do that stuff now. And then three days later, and I'm sending these songs to John, you know, Anna Cruz's bass player going, dude, here's a new song. And then like three days later, he's like, dude, where are these songs coming from? Like, I'm just sending them these brand new finished songs every three, four days for like a month straight. Yeah. It's like, dude, where, what is going on? I'm like, there's so many ideas inside of us all. Mm -hmm. If you just get out, and I don't know, what's the quote, whatever sculptor, how do you sculpt, you see, you just take the, you take the marble and you remove everything that's not the sculpture, right? Right. And it's kind of what you do. It's all there somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you're not too worried about, you know, and you don't always hit a home run, obviously, you know, you, you do yeah. your best, but you even, even when you do an album, you know, that not all songs are all as good as other songs. You, you know, there's some good quality in certain things and you wonder like, it, it, but what I was going to say is I would listen to that like every day over and over because no one's my, I'm my biggest fan, right? When I'm doing stuff, right. no, but I'm like, okay, because I want it to really hit me. If it hits me, man, I don't give a shit if anybody else gets mm-hmm. into it. And so that's why when I meet someone that's a fan, we're like best friends, dude. We're yeah. on the same page probably because yeah. we probably connect in a lot of ways. Um, but um, I remember thinking, wow, somebody's thinking, wow, this stuff is so good. Where is it coming from? And then in other days I'd go, this, this is kind of shitty and right. mediocre. You know, this is, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. It was like, like in some sort of like a delirium or something at the time. Was I like in, in some kind of like, manic episode where i thought it was super great and like now i'm just like whoa this not really you know it's really mm-hmm. not it's kind of sucks and i'm going through to get next i have a whole new album recorded except for the vocals i've got an oh, entire okay. album completely recorded before i started this kiss thing it was done all i wow. gotta do is finish the lyrics and put all the vocals on there and it's it's like trauma a little bit heavier probably but it's all recorded i mean completely finished and uh some days I'm like, wow, this is really the best stuff I've ever done. And then other, you know, I'll let it go for a week. And then I listen to it again. I'm like, or maybe the other way around. Maybe I start thinking, no, it's not really, I don't know. It's not really that good. You know, maybe I want to think it's good. And then like, I let it go for a week or two. And then I'll go, man, I haven't listened to that in a couple of weeks. Let me pop that in. And I'm like, wow, I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Turns I, out I'm a genius after all. I totally but get it's, that. It's really hard though, because we're all, I mean, I know there's a spiritual side to us too, but there were also a bag of chemicals too. And man, sometimes you eat the wrong thing and your album sucks. And sometimes you eat the right thing. And man, this is yeah. awesome. You know, you I get that. Know. I get That's that. why you can't be the sole judge of your own. You right. have to. Now, right. my wife keeps it freaking real with me. I mean, my wife, you know, I remember when I was younger playing music, I always thought I would never marry a groupie. But mm-hmm. then the older I got, I thought, God, I should have married a groupie. Right. <laughs> I should have married someone that thinks I'm the greatest thing on earth. I should have married someone that's intelligent and and just as smart and all these, Mm -hmm. because she's going to, my wife thinks I got no filter sometimes, which isn't really true. My dad had no filter. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a cross between those. I'm I'm very self-aware, but my wife is always, always like, 
acting like I'm getting ready to say something out loud that I shouldn't say out loud, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'll play stuff for her, and she's like, mm. <laughs> like, wow. And I'll defend it. I'll be like, listen, yeah. this is why I think it's cool, you know. And I explain it to her, and because uh, it's funny, because. I'm more of a romantic guy. Like I like like love songs and good heartfelt different all different kinds of stuff. She's just like like oh corny like what wow or like she wants you to write and she's not a metalhead by any stretch. Mm-hmm. She was a Queen fan and all that stuff growing up, and and she was like a total new wave you know club chick in the eighties and nineties hanging out and you know whatever. So she's not like a metalhead, but she's be like I like your heavy stuff. She's like I want you to why come you not screaming anymore like you did you know what what's mm-hmm. that sounds like a TV show what's this piano and all that why are you writing why are you writing wow. this wimpy crap you know it's like it's funny yeah but I'm like okay well that's fine you're not a fan but, that's okay <laughs> I mean that's such a cool like it's it's very Keeps you seemingly grounded. very valuable <laughs> to have that back and forth well and, and not, my dad my dad was the kind of guy so my dad played music loved attention got married, settled down, had kids, and regretted it the rest of his life. I mean, my dad was so one of these guys that you know he always in his mind thought, because my mom was a stay-home, uh, anxious. My mom was agoraphobic for years, for a while. She wouldn't even leave the house that bad with the anxiety um, growing up. And my dad just wanted to be around people. He wanted the attention. So he was like one of these guys, settled down, got married, and then was like, so when he saw his kids, like my older brother Sam, and, and myself, and I have a younger brother, but but Sam and I started playing music together um, right from high school onward. We were in Heaven's Flame together before, and right when that band broke up, I joined Anacrusis. And so we, um, my dad, and, and he's the older brother. I mean, he's like six foot tall, blue eyes, like totally, you know, girls all liked him and all that. So I was always the quiet kind of mom's sort of favorite. But um, my dad really, man, bucked horns with my brother when he was going through the teen years. He was so jealous to see my brother mm-hmm. get playing music and all that stuff. And I know it was just, and I, there's a song in Manic Impression, it's called Our Reunion. And it's a song I wrote about my dad when I got to a certain age where I realized that part of it was my dad being jealous, but a lot of it was him just loving us and not wanting us to throw our lives away and wanting us to think into the future. You know, it's a weird mix. And so Our Reunion is sort of a... um um, it's more of an emotional level. It's like a symbolically our reunion was because we used to bump heads a lot. My dad was the most critical person on earth. It's so funny. I got such thick skin, dude, growing up. My dad, wow. my dad had some great lines. He'd say, oh, is that your new song? Sounds like your old song. You know, that kind of, st- like not trying to be funny. Yeah. But just, or I'd come upstairs, I'd be down recording demos and I'd come upstairs. He'd be like, call that singing. Oh, what, what's Oof. going on? He, my dad would say, it sounds like a, a damn dog and a cat are fighting on their hair. Rah, 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 rah. Oh, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty much my vocal style. Yeah. yeah no, but I my dad it. used to be, but then once we started playing and had signed, man, my dad was at every show. Oh, it's my boy. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. And, but, but man, um, but I, but I got a lot. I mean, my dad would tell me all your songs sound the same. And I'm like, you're a Johnny Cash fan. And you're telling right. me all of my songs. Sound- His songs are literally the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> different words. That's so funny. But, but, but it made me learn real early on to say, you know, I don't give a shit really. That's cool. I mean, if my dad likes my music, it's probably lame. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. You don't of want course that. My dad's not supposed to think the yeah. funny thing was when we did that reunion at Delmar Hall. I remember telling the guys, I go, you realize that we are all older than our dads were back when we were doing Anacrusis, right? Go back wow. then and picture all of our dads being up on that stage in 1991 or two or three. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? And then that's yeah. us 
we're older yeah. than them even so it's it's really weird that's, it's a strange world when there's probably 70 year old slayer fans on this planet exactly <laughs> you know? it's who knows but yeah that's and but that's the thing too slayer is one that always makes you think you can always connect with people musically but when i realized one time and these are things that you learn as you as you kind of go through life and friendships and whatnot like we were all like slayer fans but then some of us it was really weird we really hated certain other bands that other guys liked and you realized Sometimes you don't like Slayer for the same reasons, or you might okay. all be fans of a band, but for totally different reasons. And then that's where like the what's with the circles where they overlap, the, you know. Then that's where like here's the Slayer fan, yeah. they're both this, but then I like them only because of this, and this goes here. Big time. You're, you yeah. like them, and so it's like not everyone that likes certain bands are going to like every other band either. And it's, yeah. it all depends on what you're looking for. Like um, Elleron Cantor, who does did the, the album cover work for for. Um, the last couple of things I did and he's done like, he just did, he's doing the new creator. I see oh, your he's shirt done there. so many good album covers. I saw, yeah. I saw creator by the way, at Mississippi nights with corner in like 91, wow. uh, 90, 91, 90 or 91. It wow. was the extreme aggression. No. What's the one with the orangish with the picture of the band. Anyway. Um, yeah, saw them. I it was awesome. Right. So I'm, I saw him on the, uh, uh, we played the 70,000 tons of metal cruise in 2013 oh, wow. and they were like one of the headliners too i watched them out in the middle of the ocean on the stage at night and so they're cool. so good man that's a, that's one band that's just gotten better and better it feels they're, like they're they undeniable better. i think yeah. they're just like to me they're like a almost like a better a better slayer like a like a oh, technically yeah. better slayer yeah. oh, you don't have to be quiet about yeah. that they're better yeah. than but, slayer. but slayer's still slayer but i'm yeah. just saying like they're yeah. they kind of got all those elements but more yeah. put together yeah. but anyway um if slayer yeah, wrote so, songs that's yeah exactly like. there you go yeah. there you go but uh um but anyway so where, i just got a mind i can't remember the thread there's been so many threads i totally derailed us it's okay no i actually i love this because I'm so it, AD, I, there was no adhd when i was growing up no I I, you know what I had it. i'm i'm totally fine because i think uh i love that it's just been thread after thread after thread uh and it's all and it's, what's interesting is i had some notes down i didn't have a lot of questions just a couple yeah. notes about you know, different things. And I think we've hit almost all of them just naturally. So like, to me, that means well, you, said you, wanted to, you said your show was about some spirituality. Well, yeah. And... So, so the, the name of the show is everyone is everything. And the reason okay. I named it that is just because I wanted to be able to follow some kind of common thread that like connects everybody. Like there's, whether it's just your experiences, even though they're your own and very individual, we all have these things that kind of connect everyone. And I'd love, I, I've kind of, through the pandemic, especially um, dug deeper into spirituality. And then I see it connected in everything. I see it connected in the, in metal music and in, in individual relationships. So, uh, so yeah, I, and obviously I think one of the main things with spirituality is authenticity and truth. And that's something that I think Anacrusis and your art has, and this is why I reached out to you. So, but we touched on so much of that stuff that it's very, uh, it kind of works in that sense that I was like, oh, I picked the right person to have well, this conversation. You know, well, appreciate that. Uh -huh. You know, and one of the things speaking spiritually is that like, I was, I was not a Christian until I was about 28 ish or so. My brother got born again. And I was like, oh God, mm -hmm. he's like brainwashed. I'm going to go prove him wrong and started to actually read the scripture and my conversion happened. And so my life really changed a lot. Though I was always a very conscientious person. Um, I mean, you know, my dad was Catholic, Italian, of course. You know, so I think there's a lot of um, a lot of emphasis put on behavior, you know, like you do the right thing. And my dad right. used to say, like, if somebody's being a total 
you know, piece of crap, look at their parents because that's the way they were raised. You know, a lot of it was about, and so I've always been very conscientious growing up and I've never been drawn to the dark side of things. Like, mm-hmm. like even in uh, metal and stuff, even when I was a Christian, I didn't get into the like, satanic stuff. I didn't really see the point in being super negative when already such a negative world. And so I always was more idealistic. I was always drawn to goodness. I wish we could all just be better or whatever. And so, um, when I became a Christian, I had a really hard time, I'll be honest. Um, I went through all the different phases of being a new Christian, which was excited, and then thinking about, uh, and then you get to a point where you start doubting your own salvation, and what's, is hell, re, eternal hell real? What about everybody else? What can I do? Oh my God, I don't want to go to heaven if no one else does. Um, am I even doing what's right? What, you know, and you go through a lot, if you're, if you're introspective, and I even went through literal nervous breakdowns over the idea, and I mean, I, I now... Um, I am a, I'm not a universalist, but I am a, I am a universalist crea- uh, Christian. I believe that Jesus is the savior of the whole world and it has already saved the whole world. I think we are already all saved and the work has been finished on the cross. And what we call salvation in this life is the knowledge of that, coming to terms and that you are on good terms with God, that you are not, we are not enemies of our creator in that point and that, that, that love is real. And that the whole dark um, fire insurance version of Christianity that we're mostly sold um, is really, it's not from God at all. But in, in my journey, though, I went through the, you know, you go through this legalistic period sometimes where you start to doubt yourself and your own behavior, and especially if you're not raised that way. If you're coming out of, um, I'm not saying I was a giant hedonist, but you're coming out of a secular world into this life of, okay, my life should be God-focused and everything. And like, why don't I like this praise and worship music. Mm-hmm. Why don't I, why is it so corny to me? Why is it because I'm just already molded, my tastes are formed, or is it something about, it? you know, and so, but at first I was like, no, I mean, we never did anything in Anacrusis, or I never wrote about anything in particular that I had regret over, because I was always being honest. Even there's, the song release has a little uh, question about the idea of blaming ourselves for the sin of the world. Um, which I, I can I can identify with that as a Christian, but I can also understand that that was me speaking of a man who just was questioning the world. I wasn't, um, you know, and, and, and there's two things that Jesus says that are very similar, and it's one of the deepest, strangest mysteries to me. And one aspect, he says, if they are not against us, they are with us. And the other time he says, if they're not with us, they're against us. And I think that what apl- what the difference is, is your intent. Um, I think if you're speaking on spiritual matters, if you're speaking about things of the Spirit, um, and you are not speaking in line with God, then you are against God. However, if you're doing something that is simply an expression, uh, it's music, it's some sort of other thing, and it's not talking about those things, and if you're not against God, then then you're with Him. You know what I, I mean? Like and I think there's a, yeah. there's a subtle distinction there. And it took me a long time because my older brother got really pulled into a charismatic church, I mean, full-blown charismatic church. And I was always, I'm very grounded, I'm very scientifically minded, very grounded person. Like I don't, I only believe in one ghost, the Holy Ghost. And you know what I mean, I'm not into all that weird stuff, but uh, I do believe in a spiritual realm and all those things. I think we only see part of what we are, what we are in, but uh, by design, I think that's what we're supposed to see. So I'm not one of these people that thinks you got to go find the particular perfect drug to find God. I think if uh, God's right there, you don't need anything. I think God is so easy to access that the that that's the hardest thing for us to ever accept. That what do we have to do is nothing. It's already right. been, the work is done, 
And so that's, that's, but it took me a long time, man, to get to this point. But there was a period where I threw a bunch of my stuff away. I threw a lot of my, I mean, not like I was like burning it and saying, oh, I'm satanic. But I just realized it's like, it's kind of like um, diet, you know, crap mm -hmm. in, crap out. You know, it's sort of like, I understand the idea of not filling your mind with crap. Um, and so there's a point where, and I got all conscientious, subconscious and throw a bunch of stuff away, which I know is, it's dumb now. And I realize none of those things to me, it's almost like, almost like nothing is evil. It's just like your intent. You know, these things are all like a gun, a gun can protect you or a gun can go and kill someone or steal from someone. Um, and it's all in your intent and what you do with these things. And it took me a lot of years because my brother used to kind of give me a little bit of a hard time like how come you like messing with this metal stuff again are you still like back into that and i'm like dude i wasn't i'm not in deicide first of all you know and yes. second of all you know but what i had a hard time with was that i was glorifying myself or my own life i was never glorifying god or giving thanks to god that's the part i, I struggled with and then i have a, a close friend of mine for many 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 years now um and we used to talk about spiritual stuff all the time and i used to preach to him all the, anyway and he started telling me you know when you just go outside and look at the creation and you appreciate the beauty of it, that's like a prayer almost. When you're writing, when you're taking the talent God gave you, and it's all coming from our creator. I mean, I didn't make myself, whatever I have talent-wise, it's just a gift. I didn't get it from anywhere. You know, you can't teach someone to be creative. You can only help them um, allow themselves to be, you know, or, or whatever, or find that in themselves. But I remember him saying, dude, when you use your God-given talent to make music, you're not doing anything against God. You're, mm. you're, it's a prayer to God. You're like thanking him by doing those and appreciating. And it really opened my eyes. And it wasn't like an overnight thing, but it, I came to a point where I, I understood that um, I know where any talent I have comes from. Um, I probably shouldn't beat myself up too bad because I'm what God made me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's his, but he figured this is what Ken Nardi is going to be. Um, so I try to um, accept it. You know, I wish I was taller. I wish I was thinner, all those things. But, you know, you could always be a million times worse, right, too? Yeah. But that, but even that is relative. Even that is relative. And you can yeah. never understand um, someone else's pain or struggle that they go through or questioning. Um, financially speaking, you know, you can say, oh, you got a, you know, you got a great house you built. Man, how can you be unhappy about anything? What are you, ungrateful? You know, it's like, well, no, it's not that. It, it almost makes you more sad because you would expect to feel better. Mm -hmm. having these things and when you don't then you think it's even more depressing because i can't put my hope in this other thing to maybe make me feel a little happier and mm -hmm. so when you feel like you know you have it all or you know i have good i have a great wife wonderful person i have a beautiful house i have a good job all these things i have a great family good some good friends what do i have to complain about and the answer is nothing and everything yeah. because it, you always think um you know, I wish this was a little bit better than it was. And I think that's what, that's a longing that God put in us because this isn't a perfect world. This is a fallen world. And I think what our job is to recognize the beauty where it is, the remnant of beauty, and to long for something better, to long for it to be fixed. And there's that part of us, all of us, that wants a happy ending at the end of the movie, right? Um, and that's where I think that longing will be satisfied. I think there's no reason we would all have it unless it was right. ultimately going to be, you know, all makes sense in the end. Yeah. And if not, so be it. I'll well, go to and, sleep and that'll be it. That'll yeah, be it. and what's interesting <laughs> also is, and I love all, I love hearing that, and, and especially in regards to metal and stuff, because, you know, it is when you get into spirituality you do feel conditioned 
conditioning that's like, this is bad and this is good. You know, I'm not allowed to listen to Merciful Fate. Well, I am going to listen to Merciful Fate and I'm also right. going to, you know, read spiritual texts. But what I, what I really like, um, and I think that Merciful Fate comment just threw my, threw my thread away, but um, what you said about the happy ending, like we, we all want a happy ending. And a lot of times what I hear you saying is that like, although, you know, still be active in your, in your spiritual life, but you also have to be human and have these experiences and feel these things. And there's a, there's a, a teacher named Alan Watts. I don't know if you've ever listened or heard of Alan Watts before. I know the name. Yeah. He's uh he, he explores a lot of Eastern religions, but also, mm-hmm. um, Western he's very, uh, well-versed or he was, um, and he talks a lot about uh, one of the things he says is that, um, you do have to take part in the dance. You know, you don't, you yeah. don't, you don't, da- you don't play a song to hear the last note. You listen to the whole right. song, like the whole thing. You don't, if, if, if the point was to hear the last note, all composers would just write finales, right. but like, you right. know, where you dance to be dancing, you don't dance to get to the last spot and be like, I landed there. I was the quickest right. and that I'm happy now that I'm on the last spot, but then you miss the whole dance. And I think that there is some aspect of humanity and divinity kind of mixing here. And that, and I think, and I think that the way this world operates, um, the imp- you know, you always have like, you always have the wind up and then the swing, right? I mean, the wind up makes the string more, the, the swing more powerful. Um, it's w- something that you learn with arranging music and that you learn that by going really quiet just before the big part, it's that much more powerful, right? And that's one of the things I learned from listening to like the wall and things like that. You learn that like not every song is comfortably numb. Sometimes it's virulin. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just a, it's just a segue. It's just a, something to, to bring, to pull the mood back, to really make it go. And that's one right. of the things with a lot of metal. It's just go, 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 nonstop. And you're like, there's no dynamic to it. There's no like, take a breath. The eye, you know, the sort of the calm before the storm. That's where those little nuances, and that's the stuff that gives you those chills that you always wonder, right. what is the formula, man? And I've wh- never given myself chills with my own music, but other people say they get it. Maybe it's like yeah. tickling. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like tickling. Yeah. You can't tickle yourself. And tick yourself, right? <laughs> so that means that we do belong here, and we should be engaging with each other. Right. But what does it say? Should... Is maybe those low points in life, if you stretch mm-hmm. it out into your entire life. Um, that the, you know, and, and, and my hope, my prayer is that things do in the end make, they have to of make course. sense. They of have course. to make, they just have to, it would be crazy. Um, but that all those lulls that come before it are going to make it that much better. Yes. Um, and that's, I think the whole point of life personally, I mean, yeah, God could have just created it all perfect and whatever. And, but you know, people are weird that way. You have to lose a thing to really appreciate it again. Right. You have to. Um, go without it to want it. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. re- we just totally take these for granted. It's just our nature to mm-hmm. just assume. And that's, you know, speaking of that, you know, it, you know, and these are, I, I did, I spent years, when I say nervous breakdown, I mean, literally like every day for months and months and months, like just trying to, in my head, I have to know for sure things that, and that's, I have OCD and that's part mm-hmm. of what, like I have a really stupid kind. I mean, I'd rather just wash my hands a thousand times a day, but mm-hmm. no, I have the kind that's, like psychological, like, like, you know, those, um, when you hear a song, they call it an earworm and it's just in your head mm-hmm. over, I, I get that instantly. Like the thoughts will just go and they just go, 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 go. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's like, and then you have to like, listen to a, a less annoying song just to kind of get rid of the other yeah. one that's stuck there. Yeah. But, um, there's always something going on and looping. And, and so when that song's replaced with, 
um, uh, a sad thought and it's over and over and over again. Right. It's never going to end. But, but um, the reason I was going to, I wasn't even talking. I see. I even throw my, Oh, speaking of merciful fate, dude, I okay. saw them in 84 stood right in front of King diamond, full lineup. Don't break the oath. Even drew an upside down cross on my hand, even though I made fun of my satanic yeah. metal fans, yeah. cause I was not that guy, but I'm like, ah, it's merciful fate. Um, but yeah, God knows yeah. you're just like, ah, silly kid. You know, and <laughs> I, so I, yeah, no, I, of course. And I, and I, and there, we could go on forever about the, the value or the reason that we create darker art and that it's not an evil and thing. And that's the thing. When it comes to metal, dude, I think some of the black metal is my favorite sounding metal. Mm -hmm. I love the orchestral stuff, over-the-top craziness. I mean, oh, I, the reason I brought Eleron up before, the album cover artist, because I, he's a huge fan and he used to work in like a, I don't know, I think in a, like some sort of a music club back in Israel and they'd play Anacrusis and other metal stuff. And we were talking about new material. I was talking about new songs. I'll send him stuff to listen to sometimes through Facebook and stuff. And he told me one day, he goes, I'm not really big on lyrics. I go, wait a minute, what? He goes, see, I don't really care much about lyrics. I'm like, how can you be an Anacrusis fan? I go, what mm -hmm. if we were just saying a bunch of dumb shit? It's yeah. like, I don't care. I like the music. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's some bands that I don't care about lyrics. My favorite yeah. bands are the ones that hit me lyrically. But before we, I, there's two things that you said that hit me that I want to hit on before I lose them to, totally. Because um, you were talking about the dynamics and music and how it relates to to life. And I just jotted down real quick, life is dynamic and it's supposed to be. And I love that because it, it's, it, it releases our, con, like our need to control things a little bit more where it's just like, Oh, it's supposed to have this big part and this quiet part and this scary part. And like, it's supposed to be dynamic. So I just, I, I really like that analogy and kind of piecing those things together because life is dynamic and it's not supposed to be otherwise. And well, I really you know, like the same, that. The same person, whether it's your mother, your father, or somebody else that you, you know, bicker and bitch at every day and uh, and then you lose them, you know, and then, you know, when you see them again, it, you're going to be so freaking thrilled. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. you don't and we don't. That's that's the good part. You know, and the other thing is people used to, you know, the, the age of the question, well, if there's a God, how can these horrible things happen in this world? And it's like, unfortunately, when horrible things happen, it tends to bring out the best in people. I mean, mm -hmm. the same guy you might have flipped off in your car because he cut you off, you might run into a burning building to grab that guy and drag him out mm -hmm. and risk, you know what I mean? In mm -hmm. that situation and that horrible yeah. tragedy, it's going to make you put your selfishness aside possibly. Right. And that's really makes you a better person in that moment, right. you know? Yeah. And so that's probably part of the reason why too, you know, you yeah. have to, you have to, um, uh, and that's the thing too. I think that we think a lot about the negative. We, we think about the things we do to people. Like, let's say you get to the end of your life and you get, you get to go back, you stand for a guy and you review it all. And you think of these things you did that you hurt people. You didn't realize it, or maybe you didn't mean to, but you know, there's a lot of things we do that really, that help people that make people smile that really, mm -hmm. you, you know, you might say something to a person. That's why words are so powerful. And I'm not one of these word of faith Christian guys, but I'm just saying, we really do have the power to bring a person up or to tear a person down. And yeah. you know what? It's totally free to do either one. Yeah. You have the power to make a person feel really good. You know, And it's, it's free and it's, and it's a great feeling. And that's what we're supposed to do, I think. I think I agree with you. And I think this just, I, I just had, I think I might have brought this up in a, another interview that I did, but I'm, I think it's, it bears repeating. So I'm glad that you mentioned it like that, that we, we are in a way magicians. We can make people's, we can change a mood. We can change somebody's yeah. day. And, you know, and it might be something as simple as a, 
you know, just breaking that social contract where you go in and you say, hi, how are you? Good. How are you? How's the weather? Like maybe saying something honest right. to someone, like right. being, connecting with someone in a way that's a little bit deeper or just a smile or a wave or whatever it is. Um, you have this weird ability to affect someone else's energy. Yeah. And I think well, that's and, super. And we live in a very impersonal world now, mm -hmm. comparatively speaking. You're you're a little younger, but, um, you know, it's. I mean, I'm okay with it. I've always been kind of a lonely guy, a lo lone. Uh, what do you call it? Not a lonely guy, a lone lonesome guy, and mm -hmm. I, a lone wolf. I've always kind of just been like I was a kid that could just sit in my room and draw pictures or read books mm -hmm. all day. I, I didn't that. need to go out and do whatever. Um, but I was okay with people too, you know. And and you realize, when I was a kid, you know, something used to happen with me when I was a kid. I had these, like, I had these two good friends. And we're talking like grade school that lived on my street. And one kid, I'd play with him, and it was always, like, super cool. I'd play with the other kids, super cool. When the three of us would get together, they would always pick on me, hmm. two of them. And you have to realize sometimes that when people, sometimes people are jealous of you for reasons you don't even maybe know or maybe, and that's not to be, it sound like an egotistical person. But you find out sometimes, even your friends, for years and years, you you sometimes find that your friends are like anchors. And there's sometimes there is a little jealousy or there is a little bit of whatever. And they're not all trying to help you get to your dream as much as you think they are. There's a lot of um, passive aggressive stuff in this world. There's a lot of things. We all struggle with it. You know, I'd love to say I'd have been thrilled to see any other local band get signed, you know. But I, I wanted it to be me. I wanted it to be me, right. obviously. And if somebody else would have, I'd have probably been a little jealous. And that's that's crappy it's bad i don't want to be that kind of person but it's part of you you know it's at least part of me but the other thing is, i grew up ahead. in an italian household lots of yelling and you know i love you was like you know you're a jerk ball busting you know thick skin sharp tongue but i'll tell you what i can i can hurt people with my with my words really easily i mean it's it's almost like a superpower you don't you don't mm -hmm. wish you had right but if you if you use that same ability you can really you know and i'm oh i've always been that guy that my friends would come to to talk to when they have issues or whatever. I don't think that it's so much that I know everything or whatever, but I think I can, I, 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 I am an empath in a lot of ways. I've always been that way very deeply um, to a fault sometimes, but I can always see each person's side. I could get into your shoes a little bit, understand it. I think I am very intuitive as far as what a person needs to hear and what they, not, not to bullshit them, but I mean, you can, you can filter your words to mm -hmm. do to do their work in a good way not be not dishonest but you know and, and the other thing about this world when you become legalistic about the idea of spirituality and god and us and you know we're just stinky monkeys basically i mean i'm not an evolutionist but i mean we're basically just an animal you know mm -hmm. we can think we're great but at the end of the day we're just dirty filthy animal mm -hmm. with no self-control and always trying to do better you know um, i've never met anyone that's trying to be a worse person have you <laughs> No, <laughs> They're all no. trying to be a better well, person. Well, and that's that's what, and that, that <laughs> oh, kind of brings... This, this is my point. Okay, go ahead. I read in a book when I was really struggling with this idea of being saved or whatever, and it said that what, what a lot of people understand, when, when Adam and Eve in the garden were told that they could enjoy everything in the garden except for one thing, which was basically the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, you will not be God. I am God. You will not judge right and wrong. But most Christians think that we are not to taste of any tree in the whole entire garden. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. God created a world for us to enjoy and to partake in. We're in it. We can still enjoy the things of it. You know, again, it's all in, um, you know, and you have a spirit and, and you have a physical body too. And the, your body will be judged as a, as a physical being and your spirit's going to be judged as a spiritual being. And your spiritual being always is the part of you that wants to be closer to God, that wants to be 
um, that struggles against that uh, that vehicle that we're driving through this life, you know, which is mm -hmm. our bodies, which yeah. um, and, and it's and it's that way for a reason. And God made us sinners to humble us. Nobody's perfect, man. And we all know yeah. it. We all yeah, know it. And that's why. It's impossible. A, you know, it yeah. keeps us grounded. And there's a big difference between not being perfect and being bad, you know, because some people say like, I'm yeah, I think there's bad, a difference you know, between a sinner like, and I think there's a difference between wicked and evil and sinning. Right. And I think there's subtle yeah. differences there. I think that we all yeah. do fall short. I think sometimes we even let our emotions get and we do evil against people or we do mm -hmm. not things of God. And then I think there are people that have moments of wickedness where they are driven yeah. by the desire to, to harm and to bring darkness. Well, and we could, we could bring this back to uh, earlier um, when we talked about, you know, everybody's wounds and they're and like, you look at somebody and that, you know, if someone's acting a certain way, look at their parents, but also look at their wounds and look at their experiences. And we could say that I'm not saying excuse people's behavior yeah. at all, but I'm saying that that compassion or that, that observer quality to say, Oh, I see your wounds. I don't see your action. Like I see what you're doing and again, not not saying you get to just run free and do whatever you want right. um, and hurt people. But at the same time, if I see it's that's that old saying, like hurt people, hurt people. You know, it's like yeah. this is what it is. Who isn't hurt? You know, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, <laughs> no exactly. One. So like to be able to see the world like that, let's make allows you to not put everyone in a good or bad category. Like it's not up to me. I don't, everybody's hurt. Everyone's trying to figure it out and they might be lashing out, but at a, in a deep sense, they're probably scared. They're not, they don't feel safe. And this yeah. is, this is the reason they do stuff like that. And it's, oh, yeah. and are we, I should say we, I'm not even gonna say they, we do yeah. stuff like that because oh, we're included. When you think about my parents being early twenties, mid twenties, raising me. I'm like, and then you look back when you're that age and you're thinking, God, I was so stupid still about so many things. Yeah. Um, and not, 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 or, you know, ignorant of so many things, but I guess mm -hmm. that's part of, I think that's part of the challenge too. I think that, and this is, this is a part of my spiritual life that I really grip because I think there's a big part of being a parent. I don't know. Do you have any kids? No. Okay. No. I think there's a big part of our relationship with God that is tied directly to our having children and seeing them act really bad and really shitty and having the unconditional love. I do not have unconditional love, but I would, I think, if I had children. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, something that I struggled with um, for a very long time because I think we tend to, um, by, by our nature, we tend to um, impr imprint our own earthly fathers onto heaven, our heavenly father. And that I think I automatically think God's a little bit of critical, like my dad mm -hmm. was. And you know what I mean? Um, my friend who struggled a really long time with a lot of this stuff, uh, his dad, you know, he his dad was a Vietnam vet. He was born, dad took off, and he didn't even know his dad growing up. And he's and he used to tell me that, you know, he's, he's more of a deist. And I said, well, it makes sense. Because in your spiritual life, God created you, and then he went away. You never wow. had any contact with him. And it's interesting how I think we do by nature reflect that, which is why it's so tragic that so many fathers with abuse and things they do to their children. And then if a person tries to have a relationship with God as their father, I think they have a very difficult time yeah. not seeing God as their, as similar to their earthly father. It, it's... Um, and that's, you know what I mean? I mean, you get mm -hmm. through it, I think, and you learn to understand right. God isn't that, but I think our nature is, I think that's why I went through well, so many wasted years of, of, of God ribbing me and tearing me down. Like my dad yeah. used to do, um, whether, you know, it wasn't mean spirited by my dad even, but I think that's where we just always go naturally. Well, that's, 
that's the thing. And that's why words and symbols are so important because we use the word father or yeah. mother because different, different cultures, you know, you have a divine mother, divine right. father. But this is why but I like, think, but this is why I think, um, people te- sometimes, especially people have a, either no father or a bad relationship with the father. I think that's where a lot of people gravitate more towards the mother, mm. more towards the divine spirit, the feminine. More, and even Catholics tend to, I think, go ask your father. It's like, no, I want to go ask, I would rather ask mm-hmm. Mary. I don't want to yeah. go ask Mary's yeah. dad, right? Yeah. I think there's, because, and, and it's cultural. I think Catholics are very, mama's boys, my dad was that way. Jewish culture is very similar to that too, mm-hmm. I was told. Um, but yeah, I think um, there's a masculinity that's lost. I think it makes people harder and harder to see, you know, they don't really think a lot of men these days, or maybe they didn't mm-hmm. have a dad or their dad is super not a leader of their household. He's not, you know, he's not a grounded man. He's not whatever. And so when you say, you know, your your father in heaven or whatever, they're thinking, whatever, you know, I can't identify with the, that man. I can't identify yeah. with the man. I want a softer God. I want a more compassionate God. Now, those of us who are married know the women really aren't softer or more <laughs> compassionate, but, but, but no, but I think that there is a draw. And I think, you know, we do create God in our own image, right. you know, in some ways. I think we want God to be the God we need him mm-hmm. or her or it to be. Yeah. Um, it's all natural though. It's all natural. But yeah. then again, I believe that all things are, are guided and ordered and scripted. I think that uh, even the illusion of free will, I really question much of the time. If it's not just simply where you're all, we're all on a videotape and God can press play or fast well, forward or rewind. And, and we feel like we're living the moment, but we're and, just doing what we're doing. And maybe the biggest point to take away from that is that you don't know, you can't know and certainty is just going to be a shackle on your ankle that makes you think that like you're doing it wrong. Right. Like you just right. don't get to know. And yeah. whatever version of it makes you more compassionate, whether that's a mother figure, a father figure, or if you yeah. just want to be humanist and say, no deities, just yeah. humans, I, whatever makes you less likely to flick the guy off in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, know? You, gotta, you know what? You, I don't have a problem with letting off that steam. Sometimes you got to. Of course. You don't but... want to be the guy that doesn't flip anybody off. And then all of a sudden you come well, in the, into the if... office one day. <laughs> okay. You get yeah. the very next person yeah. that says the or, wrong word. Yeah, of you course. I, I definitely don't mean repress, 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 right, right. but also like find safer ways to share how you feel, you know, or whatever, or understand that when you're in traffic, uh, it might not be the guy you're mad at. Maybe you're mad because you're going to that same 40 hour job and you don't want to anymore. Right. Like, let's look at, look a little deeper. So it's, it's weird. Like the way I was raised in the seventies, there's all the million memes about this stuff. And then the way kids are now um, it's, it's, it's definitely trying to be a gentler world. And I, like, I have a niece that just turned 10. So I've kind of seen how my sister like parents her and stuff and like, Oh, well, we don't watch that because you know, Natalie and it has, you know what it has like a, a monster in it or you know what i mean it's things like i'm thinking you got to have some reality you got to be grounded in some you can't be too soft but then again maybe i shouldn't have seen faces of death when i was like 11 years old you know what okay. i mean yeah where's There's, the line right there, you're, you're absolutely you know? right and i have two nieces one's 11 one's three and the three-year-old we just got for her three third birthday we got her a book that's like uh it's all these different monsters, but they're emotions. So there's fear and anger. Like, like and the Pixar movie. It's right. Like the, it's exactly yeah. like that. And it's beautifully done because it's like, it's not about, it's not about saying you can't see the monsters because we have monsters. You just have to understand right. those ones and say, 
it's okay to say you're scared or you're angry. You can say you're angry. I'm not saying don't be right. angry, especially right. if someone cuts you off in traffic. They just put your life at risk. You're yeah. allowed to be angry. But you know, um, I, I but I got into a fender bender with this with this person that was like probably twenty something. And mm-hmm. dude, I was just full on Clint Eastwood, grouchy old white dude because I could not even communicate with this person. Really? She just couldn't understand that I was saying, no, listen, this is what happened and you needed to wait. No, sir, I just blah, 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 blah. I just got my license, she told me. So therefore she's still fresher in her mind. I mean, I've been driving 30 years, 35 years, whatever, but it's whatever it is. But yeah, and I was like, it's so weird because it's frustrating sometimes. It's like a really, a really different world. And I don't know if it's always been that way and I'm just my parents now or grandparents now or whatever, I don't know because there's never been a person over 40 that hasn't said something about the younger generation, I'm sure. Of course, of course. Every generation. But, um, and yeah, that's, I think that's where the challenge is and that's the fine line. How much reality, how much red pill and how, Mm. when, and you know what I mean? Because you can't just live with your head in the sand your whole life. Right. I mean, I remember uh, going to see in the 70s, my older brother and I went with a friend of his and this friend was a couple years older. I was probably nine or 10. He's probably 13 or 14. And the friend was a year too older. And this dude was like one of these, like, he's total like pothead guy, totally like aliens, uh, Bigfoot. I mean, this is 70s, right? Every, every mystery of the world, right? But we went to see this movie called The Late Great Planet Earth. And it was a documentary done in the 70s. And it was basically, it was actually Hal Lindsey. It was based on this like Christian end times kind of book, but, but it wasn't really marketed that way. And it was like a documentary and Orson Welles narrated it with a spooky ass voice. And it was about killer bees and nuclear war and all these things that could happen to our world. And dude, my brother and I left halfway. I was terrified. This thing scared right. out of me. I mean, traumatized me. Yeah. And it was like, that's what I'm talking about. Some people be like, ah, whatever, man. And then other people are just, you don't know how things are going to affect you. And, yeah. I, and, and thank God I was never uh, a victim of like sexual abuse or any of those things. That some, I, mean, I had a stay home mom and we had a very active mom that was, you know, so I, I was never really, um, I know, and, and that stuff, I know a lot of people, man, that have way terrible things that happened to them and their kids. And I, and I didn't, but I still lived a traumatized life. Like I, right. I, um, we had like a, a apple orchard next to our house just like two lots wide. But at night, like our windows, we didn't have air conditioners or, you know, central air. So we'd have the fan and the window would be open. You'd hear, and I was really scared. Bigfoot might actually be out there, dude. Cause I, you know, mm-hmm. cause I saw the thing where the window gets ripped open yeah. and the arm comes through and all that stuff. And uh, it was hard for me to distinguish between was this real or yeah. not real or whatever. Yeah. And, I and think... so, and I remember seeing a thing about, I think it was the thing at the Olympics, 72 Munich Olympic, whatever that was, where the hostages were taken. And mm. and I, be, I would have been probably been like four years old or something. But I remembered seeing things with, with masks and guns and and I thinking at night, laying in bed, thinking if people with guns would come down the street and start grabbing people. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. you don't really know. And I don't think a lot of other people would be affected necessarily the same way that I was. I think I'm a, a way more sensitive person than most yeah. people that I know. But um, but at the same time, you you don't really know, and those things are in your mind forever, and you you don't even know they're there sometimes. Yeah, well, this is where the observer, like you, we we talked about observing our external, but observing your internal as well yeah. becomes important because. But see, I got to a point where I was when I was going through this nervous breakdown thing, I was so self-examining. I was so in my into my own 
mm-hmm. life. It was literally like shell shock or like uh, mm-hmm. post traumatic. Because what happens with these soldiers? And I and, and I did that video um, for Quiet Wars from the trauma album, and I just used all the footage, not not just like the typical kind of oh, uh, I've got battle fatigue or post, but I mean. Going back to like World War One and these times where there was no understanding whatsoever of people's yeah. behavior, and they just threw you into the slaughterhouse. And like I said, some people are going to be out there ready to go, and some people are just blown. Their minds mm-hmm. are blown, literally. It's too much. It's over. I mean, we are so pummeled by stimulation now. But can you imagine back in the early 1900s? And you don't. We don't have this life. And all of a sudden, you're just thrown into bombs and gore and blood. And, and these men, some of them literally lost their minds. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and there's been more and more understanding. But when you become so sensitized, um, you literally, your alarm is on all the time. And this is what happened to these soldiers, especially Vietnam and whatnot, where you're listening for a, a, a twig to snap. It can mean your life or death. And you become so sensitized that it's no wonder you come back home and someone slams the door and you jump through the freaking roof. Because right. your body is to its point. That's why back in the old days, they'd say, oh, they're having a nervous breakdown. Send them to the country for two weeks to rest. Mm-hmm. We don't get to do that anymore. No. Now you got to try to take something for it. And I have really bad, um, I have um, health anxiety. And I, I had health anxiety when I was younger. Like I couldn't go in vehicle. It was a whole thing in Anacrusis before we actually toured. I had to get over it. But it was really a hard thing. I didn't want to be like my mom and be a prisoner in my own. Right. Because you know it doesn't make sense. That's the most frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's something's wrong. But um, but then you get older and all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, maybe I'll have a heart attack now. Maybe I won't, you know, pass out in front of people. Now it's like, oh, the fear turns to something different. You have a couple of friends drop dead at like 32 within like two months. Yeah. And you're like, well, he was probably taking drugs, right? No. Was he like out of shape? No. Was he, you know, he, it's mm-hmm. always funny when pe- older people ask, well, how did he die? They're really asking, did he live yeah. like me or no? <laughs> right. I mean, it's coming from a place of there's fear and there's, you know, this goes back to our thing where we yeah. said, you know, feeling safe. And if you don't feel safe in the world because you have fear, right. your mind is going to find things to be scared of because yeah. the fear is there. So you're just like, I'm going to find a new one. You and, know? See, and see, my parents were probably a little bit more um, direct about things. And I think that's why I was a very shy. Shyness is nothing but fear. Shyness is a fear of interaction, right? Basically, when a kid is shy, it's because they have this, they're afraid. Uh, maybe not of a thing, but they're, they're, right. they have a fear. And I was a very shy, very fearful kid growing up. And I always saw the world as a very dangerous place um, where uh, the odds are against you that mm-hmm. things are going to go well. <laughs> yeah. And I also have what my dad called the nardy luck which means you have this particularly crappy luck where nothing ever goes right, but not, not tragic oh. things, just yeah. every little annoying thing that can't, it's, it's, there's no way it's not personal, like that kind of a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I always was, a, I was kind of optimistic when I was younger, but then eventually you're just like, man, nothing ever goes right, <laughs> right. Know, basically. Yeah. And I have friends who are like, dude, just stop worrying so much. Just relax, it'll work out. And I'm like, no, it won't. Things mm-hmm. don't just work out. I mean, some things do, but when you're in the middle of, uh, going over to Europe and your luggage is lost and you're trying to get the gig going and you don't have a pedal board and you can't just like relax. It'll all work out. You, sometimes you're going to have to make it work out, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes, yeah, so it'll work out for me, for you. You're the drummer. Right. <laughs> drummer yeah. I mean, here. there, there is, there is a uh, action that has to be taken in a lot yeah. of cases. And, and but... I'm a big control freak and that's why I yeah. really struggle. And I learned, I had to go through going through cognitive behavior therapy for the stuff. Cause I never wanted to take medication for things, but just the way I am. 
I didn't want to go that route. I saw all my friends do that back in the 80s and get on Xanax and all this stuff and end up worse than when they started. Right. Never dealt with those issues and just became addicted to stuff. And so, um, but what I actually basically had to learn is I cannot cope with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And nothing in this life is certain. Yeah, there's that's so that's a very so difficult thing. Yeah, but I did have to come to terms, and that's why I don't like drugs probably because I don't mm-hmm. like to not be in control. I don't, I you know, there's a, probably everything is related. You know, there's probably mm-hmm. a reason people are like, oh, you don't drink. That's cool, man. I'm like, look, I'm not Mormon. I'm not like saying you're horrible if you drink. I wish I could freaking take a drink like you sometimes and, mm-hmm. and forget about it for a little while. And yeah. maybe I'd be a calmer person. My, my problem is I've been sober 54 years, you know, right. and this world is. It's difficult, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, yeah, I don't, I would hope I wouldn't have vices that would ruin my life or be on math or crack and ruin my whole world. But at the same time, um, I understand, I get it. You know, when like we, you know, we see homeless and people will be like, I get the guy something, he's going to go buy a drink or I'm like, you know what, what would you buy if you're standing in, out there in the heat, hundred degrees in the heat? That, that's not, that's between you and God. You help a person anytime you can. Mm-hmm. And if that guy goes buys cracks with it, crack with it, that's not on you, man. It's just not that, yeah. you know what I mean? It's your actions are what really matters. I think to yourself and to everything else. Um, and I never, you know, I've learned, you know, I, I, I thank God that I can forgive very easily. I have, mm-hmm. I do not hold grudges against people. There's people that have done things that I, I'm not happy with. And there's people that sometimes I, that I remove from my life, whether I just avoid or distance. It's not that I don't forgive them. It's just some, some things are just, toxic to use yeah. to use your generation terms yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some things just aren't they're just not healthy yeah. to be around but mm-hmm. but you get it you understand that they're not trying to be they're just who they are they're doing their best whatever yeah you want to say but at the same time it's like you know i'm not homeless i'm not on the street i don't know what i would do if i got 10 bucks maybe i'd want to forget my life for a few minutes maybe that's right. maybe a hamburger ain't gonna do that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so so who knows but and again i think that a lot of the there's a lot of things in this world that people, I think a lot of pe- people don't want to be generous and they don't want to help people. So they look for excuses like, oh, you see the story, the guy, hey, panhandler made $5,000 a week or whatever. So, yeah, I'm sure that's every panhandler, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's just your excuse. Just don't give them anything if you don't right. want to give them anything. Don't make excuses yeah, there's for, the rest, a, for the rest of us. You're, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a, a Hindu um, guru uh, that his name is... Uh, He's he's actually the just make it up. I won't know. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, um, his name is Neem Karoli Baba, and he and I didn't make that up. That's the actual one. I work uh, with him. I think I'm in IT. Remember? Okay. Yeah. He. But one of when people would ask him about like how do we attain enlightenment? How do we meet God? All this stuff. He would say, uh, "Love people, feed people, and tell the truth." Or he'd say, "Serve people." Like just hang out with them. Right. Like that's it. Like they'd be like, well, and they'd be like, well, we don't, we don't think you get it. Maybe the translation's off. And he'd be like, no, just feed people. Have you done that first? Do that. And like, and it's just like, okay, it's simpler. And like you said earlier, that goes back to the intent. Like what happens after that? You can't really control. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to break it to both of our personalities. We can't control everything. Right. I know. But like um, the intent is very much the, I think one of the most important things. So I, I, I definitely agree. So we've been going for about two hours. Oh no. Um, that's okay. You're asking um, me two questions. Um, but I do want to do, I I've been closing with two separate questions. So I want to make sure I get these in. Okay. Um, so I can stay consistent and these are a little bit easier. Uh, 
and like, um, they can be lighter, they can be deep, whatever you got. So anyway, you know, Peter Pan has the, in the story of Peter Pan, there's the lost boys and they're in Neverland and they have a happy thought. That's the thing that like, that's that, that, that the marbles or whatever that makes them fly. Like the thing that reminds us that things are not always so dark, you know? Mm. Um, If I asked you what, what your happy thought is, do you have something that pops up? It could maybe a couple pop up, but anything jump right in your head. Nothing specific, but I will say this. A very close longtime friend of mine who were almost soulmates, we often say that what would the world be without humor if we couldn't mm. laugh? Not even just jokes and funny stories, but world is so um, absurd sometimes that mm. it's laughable. I went to – my wife had a, a coworker who passed away from cancer. And when I did this Cruel April CD back in 2005 or six, I guess she had taken a copy. Her friend wanted to hear what it, music, and it's like a lot of acoustic music. And so we went to this, uh, her, her friend had had this cancer thing for many years, ever since her teens, on and on. Anyway, she passed away. So we go to this thing. She didn't hardly have any other friends. So one of her sisters found the CD in her car. I figured, well, she must like this music, I guess. So they had a memorial thing. She was cremated. And we're sitting in the room. They did a little set, a little thing. We're sitting there. And all of a sudden, I start playing this music, and, and I, go, I go, that's one of my songs. My wife goes, no, it's not. I go, no, it really is. It's one of the Cruel April songs. And the song started playing, and it was one of my Cruel April songs. And it made me feel really weird and cringy, and then it just started skipping. And I thought, this life. Wow. It just kicks you in the nuts. and It's wow. so... Like, God is like Andy Kaufman sometimes. You know, it's yeah. just so weird. Like, yeah. I'm sitting here... And then my music's, and I'm already feeling really weird about it. And then it just starts, the CD I burned starts skipping. And I'm like, God, life is just such a dark sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's, and you know, there's another Alan Watts quote. And I'm not going to say it perfectly, but he says something like that. He says like, people suffer because uh, they take seriously what the gods made for fun. Like, yeah, yeah, and like that, that idea that like, if you had a big ego in that moment, like it wasn't well, no gonna it last. wasn't even an ego as well no, like, no I'm, I'm i don't saying, want him playing this if, what's going no, on yeah, i'm not part I'm of this ju- i'm just saying even on the other side if you but, had been that guy yeah. you would have been shot like either but way that's, that's a scene in a movie that you could never write no, right you, you could never no, think that up no. and i can't even imagine not be like being a person who is like as, as i would say i am too like hearing that come on out of nowhere and then it skipping like that's my perfect. Wife just like, no, it is. Like, shut right. up. Your music. And like, then it's, no, it's it really not... is. <laughs> yeah. And then they double down and be like, well, now it's going to skip. Like, that's. Then it's just start skipping. And then they just turned it off. And I was oh, like, wow. That's what your life amounted to. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's. You know, and then it's like, you can't really take it that seriously. You know, that's the whole point. Um, yeah. Or you can and just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I mean, so that's just. So anyway. Those are the things. And all I can think was, God, I can't wait to tell Mike, my friend. I can't wait to tell him yeah. this story. It's yeah. just so freaking hilariously awful. Yeah. that yeah. I just, and, and, and so if it wasn't for laughter, God, I would have killed myself in like third grade probably. Dude, I honestly, and I, there's, there's you know absolute... say Sometimes the best comedians are really, have a dark, mm. like a really, because there's a certain, um, to be funny, I think you have to be very observant and you have to be very, yeah. and unfortunately, if you're that, you're going to see a lot of the dark side of this life yeah. too you know yeah, absolutely. so that's where I think. but i but but that's the thing you know you bring those things up and you say them and you're like oh my god that is you know it's funny yeah another similar story my bro i was when i was like 14 or so stevie nicks had this hbo concert that they started playing on cable 
man, I fell in love with Stevie Nicks, dude. I mean, I'm talking like boy crush. Like I, yeah. I wanted to marry her, you know, and she's already like 30 something at the time. It's probably, my, my wife is seven years older. Maybe that's, see, it all goes back okay. to something, you know. There we go. And my wife used to look a lot like Stevie back in high school. So who knows? But, mm-hmm. but, um, I mean, I had a hard, hard crush on her for like two years and she was, uh, she was coming on her Wild Heart album, and I asked my older brother. I wasn't old enough to drive. I asked my brother Sam. I go, dude, um, can, can we go to the Stevie Nicks concert? I really want to see Stevie Nicks and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, I'll go with you. And so my brother's just like typical firstborn. I mean, no fear, licensed the first day he was old enough to get it, you know, working, still in high school, everything you're supposed to do. Not like me, not like poor Ken that always questions everything. So my brother, so the day of the show comes, and my brother's girlfriend of three years breaks up with him that day. And he's like, dude, man, I don't think I can go to this concert tonight. I'm like, we're going to this concert tonight, man. I don't care. Yeah. So uh, reluctantly, I drag, my brother takes me to the concert. And then it's just love song, breakup song, break. And my brother's just like over here crying at the wow. concert. Dude, that is so funny. Yeah. That, that is, that life is so, oh, it just... I, kicks you nuts you know yeah, it, it's it's absurd and it's like how can this be happening right, now right. my question now does he hate or love stevie nicks now he never cared in he fact my care. first in fact my first concert was fleetwood mac okay uh second concert right after it was billy squire he does not claim fleetwood mac was a concert that's not oh. a lot he didn't okay. count that my first wow. concert was billy squire nazareth even though that's it was funny. really fleetwood mac. that's funny i just i was like man i wonder if that that moment like impacted him enough where he hated it forever or something like that yeah that's... it wasn't her she just he was just oh it he just, was so broken just, oh, three years wow. man that's, cool. that's a long time that's your whole life and that day that's, i'm just yeah. like dude i don't care what happened to you today you're taking me to stevie nicks yeah i will marry this woman one day you know? right and, and in it's a funny, way when you talk about influences there's a lot of things vocally Stevie Nicks does that I actually copped from listening to her mm. music for a lot. There's wow. a lot of things phrasing wise and stuff. That's and funny. I didn't even realize it till many years later. I thought, you know what? This idea of holding and then punching that last word on the, on the, uh-huh. I'm like, well, that's something Stevie Nicks does all the time. And I never funny. realized I probably got yeah. that from there, but that's really funny. anyway, but yeah, so, those kind of things where you want to think life is, you're just doing great and everything's good. And then life just goes, dude, you got no say in any of this yeah. stuff. It's it just, just pants you in front of the school. Like that's what it does. <laughs> Perfect. Like, yeah. So last question then, um, cause a lot of uh, the reason that I started this is so I could, uh, one, have these kind of conversations with people that I admire and also just share, like share the stuff I like with other people, um, and stuff that hits me. So, um, it, do you have anything and it could be a song, a, it could be a book, it could be a, a practice of any kind that you would suggest to people like you're just it could be something you're into right now it could be something that you've liked for a long time or it could be just anything at all i don't know man i don't really recommend things to people really so subjective wow um uh, yeah i don't know i mean i could tell you what i like but I, whether i'm gonna recommend yeah. it to you well it's interesting because i've asked this now this is this you're the fourth interview um one person had a poet that they liked, but someone else had like, oh, I like looking at the night sky or okay. like, so it's been such an odd, uh, and, and, and you might not. And that's, what's interesting about this is you might be like, Hey, do your own thing. Like that's yeah, just I'm as cool. like that. You know, I've, that's spent cool, my, though. I've spent my whole life shooting my mouth off and I realized, right. um, nobody cares what you have right. to say. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. really. Yeah, they As ask I, you maybe, but yeah. most of the time they're not. <laughs> I, I like now. I'm just going to hit delete on this conversation. Nobody cares. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, no. it might be interesting to observe and listen. Oh yeah, but, yeah, but you're ultimately, right. 
I'm just a dude that, yeah, whatever, you, you know? know, and that speaks to the <laughs> whole point that you mentioned earlier about, it's just like, we all have our own color palette and do your thing. And I, I think can that's... tell you that I think our, our, our tastes develop very early in life. I think our likes and dislikes occur pretty early in life. Um, like I don't really listen to new metal stuff, but I still like the stuff I liked for mm-hmm. the same reasons I liked it. You know, right. I've got Sirius XM in the car, you know, I'll, I'll put on the whatever liquid metal and it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then Cookie Monster comes on and I'm like, mm. golly, isn't anybody ever going to do something yeah. different? You know, I always say this. Everyone's like, wow, Anna Crucis, this stuff sounds like it come, you know, it sounds as fresh as today. And I'm like, well, it's because nothing's happened in 30 years. <laughs> it's mm. been the same, basically the same stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to really look at a lot of different subtleties and and to pick everything apart at yeah, this and point. I, have I mean very weird i'm not one of these people like oh i'm so eclectic in my musical taste i used to have a kind of a weird musical taste mm-hmm. or weird musical um journey and i wanted to sit down sometime and this is like something i was going to do just as a fun little thing and write about my musical journey and that how each band led to a different band and how a person introduced you to this band and how that ended up leading you to this other genre this and and it's it's probably and, and everybody could do that. It would be really fascinating, probably. Mm-hmm. If people that are into music. And there's my younger brother is just not a music person. Like he you know what I mean? Like my brother's seen one concert, he took a girl to see Def Leppard in the nineties. Wow. And he saw every Anna Cruz's show though. Oh okay. Know, like, you know, he was three years younger. Yeah. He just is more of a sports guy. He just wasn't a yeah. music guy. I mean, yeah. He likes music, but just not not just a like passion. Whatever's on the radio, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Not yeah. And which is totally fine. Thing. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, man, I've always been an evangelist for everything. But back when I was a big uh, ancient alien guy, back in the, I'm talking back in the 80s, not, not History Channel. I'm talking Von Donnegan, Chariots of the Gods stuff, and all, mm. before I became a Christian and all that. Man, I was always preaching some nonsense crap. Well, I believed it, you know, and I'm very, yeah. very uh, convincing. I, I probably should have been a lawyer because I love to argue. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm pretty good with words, and I could probably yeah. convince you that that whatever what and that could be for either side either probably yeah but um yeah. but yeah uh but I've always been my life has just been and then when I became a Christian I became an annoying Christian who tried to tell mm-hmm. you everything you know and then eventually you get to a point and you're like you know what I'm just out of energy I, nobody really I, cares yeah if you got a question come and ask me otherwise yeah you freaking figure it out <laughs> so I mean. Oh, I just kicked my thing. In a way, uh, I almost knocked my computer down. In a way, you your suggestion is to not suggest things. Just do your own thing. Yeah. I'm going to twist it. I just twisted yes, your words. Yes or no. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't listen. To, like my, I remember when we toured with Death, Gene Hoagland was mm-hmm. in the band at the time. We shared a tour bus with those guys. So we got right. to hang out with them. And I remember talking to Gene. Gene's actually very personable, really down to earth, super cool guy. Uh, and he's the only person I remember. He liked Neil Diamond, which my mom was a huge fan. So I actually, um, my mom fell in love with Neil Diamond in the '80s. But I actually learned to really, really appreciate him as a songwriter. Um, and Kate Bush was another one that I really liked. And this mm-hmm. is even before whatever the TV show that she was just right. on or the yeah. song was on. Um, and Stevie Nicks and like Angel. Like I was a huge fan mm-hmm. of the band Angel from the '70s. Right. My brother bought their stuff in a cutout bin, and I actually just fell in love with it. And like, mm-hmm. and that's the other funny thing about about life. Like we used to have the cutout bins, right, where they would have the discounted albums. Mm-hmm. And my brother would always we, we didn't have hardly any money growing up, so my brother would always buy like the cutout bin. So I always knew the least popular album by every band. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we had like 
Farewell to Kings was the Rush album we had. Now, we didn't have mm-hmm. moving pictures or, or permanent waves. We had the one that, mo- I mean, I know Rush fans like everything, but right. I mean, we had like uh, whatever the album that didn't sell. Mm-hmm. That's the album that I knew. And so, that's funny. But all these weird, like, I get into Simon and Garfunkel. I mean, when Tracy Chapman first came around in the 80s, I love that kind of folk thing. Um, and But to see, I don't really take my my influences to wear them on my sleeve like that. Like I can be inspired by like, I, you won't probably find anything in my music that sounds anything like kiss, but they were my love when right. I was for years and years till I was a teenager till the makeup came off. I went mm-hmm. and saw them in 84 and I remember they had like brassiers hanging on the mic stands and no makeup. And it was very, I was like, it was a depressing moment. I remember thinking, I don't think this is my kiss band. And I don't think this is my kiss anymore, but I yeah. mean, so for years, but I never wanted to write a Kiss song or, or sound like yeah. Kiss. It's not, you yeah. know, you don't always have to emulate and be real super obvious, but but it's in there. I mean, all those influences are hiding in there. Yeah. It's just yeah, my we... ingredients are a little bit weird. You know, everybody else has yeah. got salt, pepper, garlic, mm-hmm. and whatever. I've got like some turmeric or turmeric, and I've got whatever, right. you know. It just yeah. tastes a little different, and it's just how you use them. And I yeah. think you can be influenced in ways – just like I don't think anything I write sounds anything like New Model Army. As much as I love them, I don't love them because I want to copy them. I like what they do, and I, I want to take inspiration for the mindset, for the delivery of the vocals, maybe the way Justin does it, for the ability to you know, really put passion into what you're doing. I saw New Model Army after being a fan for probably 20-something years. I finally got to go to Chicago and see them. And man, the intensity was as strong as any metal band. And they've never mm. been a metal band, but if you notice, yeah. everyone that likes them are metal guys everyone that covers are metal guys because there's a certain man the, he, right after roger waters justin sullivan is my favorite lyricist i mean and, and he was writing and here's the thing that's great about it and I, I got to meet him for briefly and talk to him and ask him who his influences were and he said probably bruce springsteen i thought oh that's really weird he goes no he's a storyteller and mm-hmm. i'm a storyteller and i thought you know i'm not a storyteller me ken Nardi, i write topically about things i don't ever tell stories their lips are very much like we were hanging out with so-and-so waiting in the queue. It's so, you know, these stories, it's small town England, all this stuff, but you know what? Small town England was small town, Missouri. Even if it was, it's, it's universal. And if you could write about these things and have a person, like a kid in the Midwest and you're in England, listen and totally identify with everything he's saying, even though I'm not in a pub in England, it's the same thing. And that's, it's the universality, but that's how a person like him, they could do like 20 albums. He never runs out of lyrics because he just writes, tells stories. Me, I struggle because I want it to be topical. I want it to be somewhat relative. People can get into it and relate to it. So I run out of stuff to write about at a certain point. You know, I remember we were doing screams and whispers. I was married and fairly happy at that time. Um, And I remember thinking, I don't know what to write about because my life doesn't totally suck. I wrote Grateful and I wrote something else. I remember thinking one more album and I'll be writing like I'm a rocker or something. You know what I mean? Like I won't have, you know, and this I think what happens to some bands. I mean, you look at the early Judas Priest lyrics, dude, there's some killer lyrics there. Dying to Meet You and Run of the Mill, some of that early stuff. And then how do you write a song, I'm a rocker, you know, or in the same guy? It's like, because you get famous and you get everything you want and you have a whole different world and you're on cocaine and whatever else. And, you don't care anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's probably a lot of challenges. Um, Yeah, because it does affect you and your journey through music will will affect what you write and how you write. Uh, Somebody told me there was was David Byrne, I think from Talking Heads. Somebody told me about a thing where he said something about as you progress up from the clubs to the arenas, your music will change. You will actually start writing music suited for those. And I think that's what happened with Metallica. I think Metallica 
you realize thrash sounds like crap in an arena. It just does. You can't mm-hmm. hear anything. And then I think as you start to get into those huge venues, you start wanting to write these big stadium rock, slow tempo kind of things. Fill the space. Subconscious, yeah. And it's probably like, this will sound good on stage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I don't have to worry about it because I'm not on stage. I'm not playing this stuff for anybody right. or anything else. So, but anyway, so that, so my to answer your second question, I you know. I don't know. I'm not going to recommend anything. When I say the Bible, cool. people be like, ah, screw that. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, I no. think, uh, I think, um, yeah, do what you want to do and like what you want to like. And don't worry what other people think about it. I mean, if you're acting like a, a total jackass and you might want to take some advice from friends, but generally speaking, right. you just, you, you, we're all trying to, yeah. you know, I like to think we're doing the best we can. Maybe right. most of yeah. us are, I think. I think that's actually a very good way of putting it. And I think it's a good way of closing up uh, right. since we, we definitely got through some stuff. It's fun that I have notes that I didn't even have to look at because we just went for it. So yeah, you said uh, maybe you talk about the trauma album and I don't know, I think I did for a couple of minutes, but yeah, what's your Yeah, saying? You know what, you Listen know, maybe, uh, maybe we'll do another, uh, another one down the line sometime. And I just put duct tape across my mouth until <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll ask, all, here's all five of the questions you do. No, I think, well, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Cause we could have went into metal deeper. We could have went into spirituality deeper, but we touched a little bit of everything. And I really like that it was a genuine conversation and that's all yeah. I was really shooting for. Yeah. So, I, I remember I, doing the interview for Delmar Hall and, and really enjoying it. And we got into some, some, you know, I remember Chad saying some things about me that I, he's never said to my face before. And I wow. thought, wow, that's really interesting. That's and he's cool, like, you know, man. Ken did this. And I was like, wow, you've never said that to me though, but that's very flattering. Yeah. It's cool that you recognize that. Um, but anyway, I think um, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah. But, yeah. but bottom line, I think is that we, I think every, this sounds corny, but everybody is it. special, man. Everybody is gifted and every, I'm talking everybody um, has gifts and talents. Now they might not be obvious. It may not be a great guitar player. Or you may not be a songwriter, but man, some people are just good at making feel being there for other people. Some people have the ability to calm a person, to help, whatever the case is, or maybe you are good at art or sports or whatever. But the thing is, I think our culture um, is very bad when it comes to children and encouraging any of that. Mm-hmm. It's always about career and money. There's the old saying, get a job doing what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. I mean, how many people get that though? You know, I spend a million hours till four in the morning doing this stupid kiss movie. Right. And I don't, and I get, and I do my work in the day. I'm just like, why is it that everything I'm good at, I don't get paid for? Right. <laughs> That's the story right. of my life, right? All the yeah. stuff I'm really yeah. good at. Um, it's just a hobby, you know? And then what I work for, I can't be that passionate about doing a, my yeah. thousandth report at our database query or whatever, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. So, but um, at the but same yeah, time... so I think it's important that everybody, I know people think, Oh, that guy's so talented or that person's, but man, I think a lot of people don't realize they've got gifts. Uh, maybe it's ability to break down and put together things. Maybe my older brother, dude, he can build anything. He can just take it apart, put it together. He could live off the land. I was telling dude, if, if it really hits the fan, you're going to be king because you mm-hmm. could probably do you, you'd survive. I'd be coming right, right to you. Dude. Right. But, um, but, but he thinks like I'm all talented because I could do all this video stuff. I do music. I write music. And he really looks up to me as being this really gifted person. And I'm like, dude, you got so many gifts. Mm-hmm. Like I can't put a light bulb in. I, I, I tried to wire a light switch. There's only two wires. And I, yeah. and I got them backwards and blew the switch and had to go back to Home Depot like a loser and get another <laughs> one, you know? And I'm like, dude, you got so many freaking talents. You don't realize it's not yeah. always a singer or a guitarist yeah. or 
actor, yeah. you know. So I think it's important, and I th- and I think we would make the world much better is if everybody. You got to be realistic, obviously. My dad used to tell me have something to fall back on. I was like, I don't know. Either I'm going to be famous or I'll be dead. You know, that was my mm-hmm. stupid, stubborn way of looking at things. But um, I think it's important though to look like my my niece is like ten, and she just like painted this flower thing, and I'm like, man, I did. I was throwing Kiss when I was ten, and I was kind of a little. I never studied art or anything. I was just a kid. I was like, wow, that's actually pretty good. I think mm-hmm. she actually has. Like that's real cool. talent. I mean, it's not the Mona Lisa, but ten years old. That's you yeah. can tell. You can mm-hmm. tell when kids, are, you know, are good at stuff. And I'm like, and if she likes doing it, man, forget the stupid soccer and all that other crap you're doing. Send her to art school. Yeah. yeah, or so... better yet, don't send her to art school. Yeah, just <laughs> let her do some it. good art stuff and let her right. figure it out herself. Yeah, don't yeah. let someone else teach you what is art. That's all. Oh, all my friends went to art school, so I've got a whole. Oh, I've got a whole thing about all that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was not well, I still, I still, I, I really do like that. And I think recognizing your gifts and sharing them if you can is great. I think that's a good well, way. Well, it's funny to because it. even though some people consider Anna Cruz as progressive or even a little avant-garde, I'm very traditional when it comes to what I like. Like I, I can't listen to jazz. I can't listen mm-hmm. to real super odd time stuff. Like my mind, I really like order and stuff. And um, one of the things I learned about the Beatles, one of the reasons the Beatles got huge was because there was this whole thing in the 50s, which was like experimental and early electronic music and all that, like all these like UFO noises and stuff in the old sci-fi movies. That's only because they were experimenting with this new electronic stuff. So this whole notion we have of what a UFO sounds like, it's just a matter of that's what at the time, that's the weirdest noises they had. But when the Beatles came around, they were actually a return to traditional songwriting. And that's one of the reasons their stuff just blew up because it was melodic simple straight to the point it wasn't mm-hmm. avant-garde it was just and, and that's kind of how like i'm a person who i love the sound of classical music but i never could get into classical music like mm-hmm. john williams is my favorite classical music it's all okay. music aspects, but it's freaking great you know it's, mm-hmm. it's it's got better hooks than mozart in my opinion but you know hey but anyway I, i'll keep going all day so oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that's a, that's okay that's okay but yeah but anyway I, I, again i think it's important that everybody everybody understand that they that, you know god didn't create anybody without some kind of special abilities to do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and that goes across the board. Um, and I think that ultimately to me, my, my perfect spiritual happy ending is everyone using those talents um, in, in it with everyone else, everybody doing mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be doing. And it's just a big, uh, beautiful symphony or orchestra and a machine that works perfectly. You know, that's, that's where um, I think uh, that would be ideal. I think. Right. And, and most people probably go through life and never know they have any ability to do anything special. Well, we'll try to remind them. That's all we can do. So, cool. Well, I well and I'm flattered that time. you thought of me to do this. I'm flattered, yeah. actually, that, that yeah. I made an no, impact I, in some way doing the other interview. I thought it was my usual babbling on and on. So <laughs> No, no. I mean, there's there's there was a lot of authenticity, and I appreciate that. And it stuck with me, and I'm sure it'll stick cool. with other people. And I cool. think that's awesome. And I'm sure we can, uh, maybe down the line, we'll get a episode two. Sure. And, two. You know, I'm going to have this other album probably by the end of the year. Maybe after I do right. that, we'll have something new to talk about or whatever. Or That'd why, be cool. why I took two months to write it and then a year to release it. <laughs> cool. So when the new album comes out, we'll touch base sure. again. Anytime, man. Anytime. I really appreciate it. Right on. And, man. Uh, Thanks a lot. COVID hair. COVID yeah, hair. Absolutely. <laughs> Our true right, metal man. form. All right. All dude. right. Well, thanks for having me, man. I'll See talk ya. to you later. See ya.